So you could see like these little dust particles on the screen, but like, <laughs> do you ever clean your laptop? Like what's going on here? It's all that porn I've been watching. There's fucking mm -hmm. slime all over the screen. <laughs> it's not, it's not actually dust on mine. Yeah. I'll leave that in. I'll put that as the intro. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to the Craftsman's Collective, a podcast designed to help makers in the wood, concrete, and steel industries improve their businesses and lives by discussing our common struggles, tips we found along the way, and combining our unique perspectives to create even more spectacular pieces. My guest today is Josh Lilly. Most of you probably know him as Decoy Jefferson, though. His story reads something like an adventure novel combined with a drama combined with something out of a horror show. If that sounds interesting to you, the first part of this episode will, will really be interesting to you. The latter half of it, we talk a lot about mindset, how you should view different situations that happen in your life, as well as getting into more concrete-related things such as terrazzo and rapid set. As usual, check the show notes and chapters if you're looking for something specific. If you'd like to help support this channel, sharing this episode and subscribing, as well as hitting up those affiliate links is the best way to do that. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. Like I said, when we talked last night, I got to one of your episodes that you did with uh, John and Brandon is one of the only episodes that I've listened to on there. And I specifically listened to it because you were going to be on there. Um, so I, I sought you your episode out. Um, and your story just, it's like something out of a fucking movie. <laughs> um, or a nightmare. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, they put those in movies all the time, too. So there, there is that. Um, I know it's not the most fun recollection, but if you'd be willing to go through that and kind of explain your backstory and how you got into concrete, that would be amazing. Sure. Yeah, I can, uh, I can talk all day long about it. Probably too long about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, when I was, uh, about 15, uh, my parents joined a cult or, uh, heavily, uh, religious organization and um i left when i was 15 went out in the world on my own and um just did my own thing and you know my mind was uh still young and easily influenced and so mm -hmm. i spent some time out in the world until i was about 25 and i got married and uh ended up getting into like heavy psychedelics and uh that influenced my mind in a lot of ways. My parents were always there trying to uh, convert me back into the organization. And so when I was 25, um, I moved back to the cult. And um, it's it's not like your average cult. It's kind of like the ones you see on Netflix or it's a high intensive uh, control group. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I signed up and, um, you know, when you join, it's, it's like a lifelong commitment. It's very serious. And uh, in the beginning, it was, uh, you know, kind of sunshine and rainbows. And I was disenchanted with the world, you know, how it operated. And, um, you know, I guess I had a real desire to help change the planet, you know, and I thought this was my best option. And, you know, my parents really influenced me on this. So um, anyway, long story boring, um, ended up being there for about 15 years. And... Um, we uh, basically developed an eco-village there. We started out in Sedona, Arizona, and then we moved down to the border um, near Nogales, 
by Tucson, which is by the Sonoran Desert. And uh, we bought a 220-acre property, <clears throat> and we started developing it into an eco-village. And um, so I was a builder before that. I got into concrete when I was probably 17, doing flat work and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and so in the community, I was basically uh, the contractor. And we started building a lot of different types of uh, building systems from, uh, we did a lot of straw bale. Um, we did a lot of uh, monolithic domes. So they're basically like, um, they're fabric forming on a large scale. So mm-hmm. it's basically a giant inflatable balloon. And um, you inflate it and uh, everything's built from the inside. So they'd have to have an airlock and um, these big giant fans and um, they'd inflate and then you'd uh, build everything from the interior. So you'd go in and I was also a urethane uh, foam contractor. So we'd go in and we'd spray urethane foam, like high density foam. And um, when you do that, you got to attach a rebar grid to it. And so you'd go in, spray foam, and um, they had these little clips that you basically stick them into the foam and then you put another layer on and it embeds them. Then you put in a rebar Mm -hmm. grid around it and then uh, you go in and you shotcrete from the interior. So it's kind of like doing a swimming pool upside down. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a fucking nightmare, man, doing that. You're in like a cave. It's dark and Mm -hmm. um, it's really hot because it's so insulated. And um, So you go in and you shotcrete and they're they're a thin shelled system. So these domes, you know, some of them are, you know, 40 foot across and, you know, 20 foot to the oculus. And so you, you basically shotcrete and there's like, uh, it's like six inches at the base and then it goes up to like two inches at the oculus. And um, so they're really energy efficient building systems and uh, built a lot of those, a um, lot of conventional buildings, stick framed. Um, a lot of ICF insulated concrete forms. Um, and so, yeah, I learned a lot of building there really. And, um, you know, we built from the ground up foundation all the way to the finish. And, um, I had about a crew of about 20 employees that weren't part of the community and, um, we were building massive projects all the time. So we had anywhere from three to five, 10 jobs at a time. And, um, so it was a real machine. I mean, I was probably spending 15 to $20,000 in materials at Home Depot a week. And, um, eventually they, uh, wanted to start doing concrete countertops and, um, I had never done any concrete countertops. This is probably, I would say 15 years ago. And, um, so they decided to do some concrete countertops and I didn't want to take it on. I had another guy kind of start doing it. And I, he watched a couple of videos on YouTube and, um, you know, That's how everybody made, starts. Yeah. <laughs> he made them and, uh, they were just fucking God awful. I was like, this is shit. <laughs> this is trash. I'll never make concrete countertops in my life. And, uh, so he put them in and, you know, they fell apart pretty quick. You know, it was mm-hmm. like, a basic kind of wet cast and then you just use like quick crete or something like that and, uh, so uh, they fell apart pretty quick and you know they 
they were not happy. And so we need to redo this. And we were doing a big uh, community commercial kitchen. And uh, it was a kitchen to, you know, the community had probably 120 people in it. And so they all have breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. So we made this massive kitchen. And uh, they said, we want to do concrete countertops again. Oh, I drug my feet. I was like, no, please, God, don't don't make me do this shit. And they said, no, you have to do them this time. And um, <laughs> I was just like, oh, fuck. All right. So um, I got on YouTube and um, I started watching videos and came across uh, Justin Bird. And um, I saw his work and I was like, wow, this is actually legit. Man, this guy's <laughs> making some cool stuff. And uh, actually, he was the first person. Um, I don't know if you know who Justin Bird is. I think he's with, with Never Rest. It's his company now. Um, I haven't talked to the guy probably since then. It's been 15 years or so. And uh, called him up, and he was willing to share the information. And, you know, I didn't have a clue what GFRC was or any of these more advanced techniques. And, you know, he basically kind of just told me a basic make design of, you know, sand and cement. And, so uh, one night I went down to the shop and um, mixed up some concrete in a wheelbarrow and um, <laughs> threw a bunch of glass in it, you know, and uh, I got some, um, took apart a hard drive and I put some, you know, hard, uh, like hard drive um, stuff in it. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was like, whatever, you know, I'm just screwing out of this and, uh, Mixed it up in the wheelbarrow with the hoe and uh, poured it in my simple little square little mold and um, <clears throat> popped it out and and uh, flipped it over and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool, you know. And uh, so I sanded it down so you could see all the glass and stuff and the computer chips. And uh, <laughs> we at the time we were uh, we could go to the dump and we had a deal with the dump like the local dump that we could go in and uh, get like the old paint and stuff like that. And I was there one day and I found some stuff that was like some smooth on stuff. It was like smooth cast silicone. It was kind of like a epoxy or something. And uh, I mixed it up and poured it on there. And I'd never seen something so beautiful my entire life. <laughs> I was like, Holy God, this is amazing, man. And, uh, I stayed up till probably three o'clock in the morning working on it. And, uh, it was great. I was like, wow, this is, this is beautiful art. And, uh, I went to bed. It was probably three, four in the morning. And then I came back. I was so excited. I woke up at the crack of dawn and came back down and it was fucked. Like, <laughs> fucked. like, uh, like it, it was, you know, it wasn't epoxy. It was some type of silicone and it had a reaction with the moisture in the concrete and it bubbled up like, I mean, it was just foam, and I was I was destroyed. Frankenstein's <laughs> monster. <laughs> totally jacked, and so uh, it put me on a quest to like reachieve that same finish. And uh, anyway, so I really got interested in it. And, um, so we ended up doing these countertops um, for this kitchen, and they were massive. And they were wet. We did them wet cast, and they were probably I want to say they were like five and a half feet by fifteen foot you know, with a knockout for just a drop-in sink. And um, so I went and did all the research on them I could possibly do and uh, ended up making them, and they turned out great, you know. 
they were massive and I had no experience in this. And so I ended up polishing them. I didn't know anything about polishing then, you know, and I think I started out with like a 50 grit resin pad, you know, and I had the one was like five by 15 and then had like integral ramp ramps in it, you know, drain boards. And then uh, there was another one that was like 15 foot by three foot. And then the base that we made for it too was wet cast, you know, and it was big and I polished the whole fucking thing. It took me probably a week, just like <laughs> four inch, 50 grit diamond. Oh man. No. <laughs> uh, and they wanted it pretty deep terrazzo, you know, and man, when I got into it, I was young then. I was a lot, a lot more ambitious than I am now. And, um, turned it out and they turned out really good, you know, and, uh, so we got it all done and, you know, I didn't know anything about sealing or anything. I, I think I used some type of Siloaxin or, you know, it was for like sealing bricks or something like that, you know, <laughs> and, uh, within two days, the cooks went in there and they just fucked them up, you know, after, you know, there was probably 48 hours of polishing I put into it. And, uh, you know, hot pans right on it. Like, the second day, there was a giant burn on the top, mm. you know, and, I, and they didn't appreciate it at all. They were like, these are inferior countertops and shit. And I was just like, yo, I just put in freaking a month into this project alone, you know. So, it, mm-hmm. it definitely just made me a little distraught and, um, you know, not so gung-ho on concrete and, I ended up uh, stripping them down and pouring epoxy over them. <laughs> and, uh, fucking blasphemy, you know. But it it uh, made it so they couldn't destroy them. And uh, so after that, we started doing more concrete. And um, back then, there was uh, there was the Concrete Countertop Forum. And it was kind of like the infancy of you know GFRC Decorative Concrete, and all the big names were on there, you know. And um, so I dove into it. I was obsessed saw all this stuff you know and i just I had no clue about concrete you know and i saw brandon you know brandon gore had his class up back then for uh you know gfrc and fabric forming and um so somehow i talked the the community into sending me to his class and so <laughs> that's the first class nice. i ever took it was i think it was 13 14 years ago and um I was super stoked and excited, you know, living in a cult, you don't really get out much. (laughs) And, um, so I went and, um, you know, there's all these really cool people, you know, and I met Paul Neal, the guy that I work with now. And, um, like Bill Coolish was there from, um, steel light Mm -hmm. and Brandon, some other people. And, um, I ended up taking a class and it was pretty pricey. And, um, I ended up getting pneumonia like two days into the class. Oh. And so really all I got was like the basic mixed GFRC design. And I got to see him, you know, start on a fabric form sink. And um, so I missed out on almost the whole class mm-hmm. and uh, really sucked. You know, I really wanted to see everything. And so anyway, I ended up going home and, you know, I was, I got to see, you know, some of it and it blew my mind. You know, the fabric forming was just out of this world. And um, the things that I realized I could do with that were just, it set my mind on fire. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so anyway, I went back to the drawing board and uh, we were building um, the leader's uh, custom uh, monolithic dome office. And, um, you know, basically uh, the place that we were on, we didn't have to um, get permits or it fell under a special law there, like right on the border of Mexico called the Brady Trust. And um, it applied to agricultural farming. And it was a law designed basically to have um, wealthy farmers bring in migrant laborers and build whatever they want. So they could build houses out of like cardboard and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just house people with no permits and stuff. So I had a lot of free range to just really experiment, you know. And um, so I went to it just experimenting with, you know, I don't have a lot of formal training in this this medium at all you know it's basically self-taught through massive failures and uh so basically we built this 30-foot dome and um i made these giant columns for it you know that went around the building and um i was like i gotta do them out of gfrc and (laughs) i uh basically bought some uh, Forton and a bunch of fibers and scrim from uh, it was ball consulting back then. And uh, you know, these, these columns were like 20 foot apart and um, each column was probably eight foot high and you know, they were pretty integral, you know, and I built in um, like drains for them. So there was like an arch that went to them because you know, the, the arches have, uh, they're like a double radius, so they'd have to wrap around the dome and then this way mm-hmm. and uh, rack my brain. So the first GFRC project I did was those, and um, I did them foam core, and they were 22 foot long from pillar to pillar. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so, so you like, started small. Nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there was there was uh, three of them on the building, so there were three twenty-two foot arches, and they were just resting on these posts, you know. And so the idea was that they were arched, and it would rain, and then they went down into the posts, and the posts would drain down, and they had a water catchment in them because they're an eco village, and they had to save the water. You know, they had giant mm-hmm. cisterns underneath, and uh, so it was really ambitious, and uh, you know, I had no. No con- concept of you know the the engineering that goes behind something like that. So I did uh, you know basically I used dry erase board, bent it over. I mean the bend was even longer than twenty two foot because the radius. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I think they ended up being like a 24 feet of concrete or something like that, and dumped in an inch of uh, white GFRC. And then uh, put in an inch of polystyrene foam and dumped another inch over the top of that and hard troweled the top. And um, I think I put in like four layers of scrim. And uh, they ended up working. And they're still there today, 15 years later. You know, there's a couple cracks, I'm sure. But uh, so then, yeah, I really, that's when it really took off. And I really wanted to do everything GFRC. And um, Mm -hmm. so, like, all the information I got was from that forum, the Concrete Countertop Forum back then, you know, and that's kind of uh, my introduction into the world. And, uh, you know, at the time, I'd ask a lot of questions. I was very inquisitive about, you know, 
how to do this, how to do that. I had, you know, almost no clue at all. And um, Tommy Cook, um, or Tegan Joy now, um, mm-hmm. the individual, um, I ended up con- contacting her or him and um, whatever. And uh, so he came out and he stayed with me for a week in the cold. And um, he introduced me to, you know, calcium sulfur alumina or rapid set. And um, so, you know, GFRC to me is, it's slow, you know, just a basic Portland GFRC mix. And so over my career of making concrete, it's been probably 90% rapid set. And um, because we were, we were building so much so fast, you know, I didn't have time to wait around. And uh, so, yeah, most of the stuff that I've built is out of rapid set. And um, I love the stuff. Most people don't use it. Um, But, um, and it's really hard to talk people into using it. You know, me and, uh, me and Paul see, we have different um, stances on, you know, how to do concrete. (laughs) You know, we all do this, this, uh, this thing that we love concrete, you know, it, it takes a lot of big egos. You know, we all, I think you got to kind of have a big ego in this industry to, you know, tame the beast. And, um, so you, you definitely see a lot of different personalities. I mean, I, I love it. You know, I love different personalities in, in this realm, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, lived in this cult for about 15 years and, um, I started getting really fucking tired of it. You know, it was apparent to me that this was a fucking cult by that time. And, you know, you take vows of poverty when you're there. So I built probably 50, $60 million worth of homes. And, you know, I worked there for 15 years and it's completely free. I never received a paycheck for it. Not, not a dime. And, uh, you know, we'd work anywhere from 12 to 17 hours a day and, um, a lot of real mental anguish. Really you can be the person up there, you know, um, mm-hmm. And so toward the end of my career there, you know, we had just finished this building that was, um, it's probably a 6,500 square foot building that was three monolithic domes, two stories, um, floating concrete floor with like a fabric formed roof, you know, conjoining all of the domes together. And it took me about four years to build this one structure with 20, 20 guys and designed it, built it ground up. And, um, the leader's wife was just this narcissistic monster of a woman. And, um, you know, when you're building like that, it's gotta be a well oiled machine. And, um, you know, you have 20 employees and then probably another five guys that are part of the community that I worked with directly, you know, so we'd, we'd have to sit down and, you know, we'd meet three times a day on the design, you know, from the materials to the employees and the way it worked was basically, you know, they'd come to us with an idea, we design it, you know, and then lay out the, the process for them, the materials that we need, we do a takeoff, you know, <clears throat> the man hours and, um, 
you know, so we'd get it approved and they'd say, okay, go forward. We'd, you know, they'd allocate the funds and we'd purchase the materials and put the guys to work and start building. And, you know, on a structure like that, like, you know, the floating floor was, you know, seven inches thick with, you know, a 50 foot free span of, you know, no support. And so all the plumbing electrical would have to be in there, you know, like, second floor bathrooms and you know we'd build a bathroom and she'd come in and she's like i don't like the toilet there you know i'd be like well well, fuck the toilet is there you know and um it's hard to articulate the level of control that goes on in a you know high control group like that you know you have Mm -hmm. no fucking say in anything you submit or you fucking get it and um you know so we'd finish a bathroom and be done and uh, she'd come in and be like, I don't like that shit, you know, and uh, move the toilet. And I'm like, do you know what it's going to fucking take to move that toilet? You know, like this is this is fucking crazy. And it was like that on every project. I mean, it got to the point where I I was so stressed out. I thought I would just die of cardiac arrest, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so long story short. I started really vocalizing my opinions on this and saying, you know, this is, this is crazy. This is narcissism. And, and, uh, you know, my whole family was there. My mother, my father, brother, sister, nieces, nephews, um, wife, I had two children at the time with her. And, um, so they separated me from my wife and, uh, they put me in an old Airstream trailer out in the desert. You know, it's, it's 120 there in the Sonoran desert. Mm-hmm. and um, just working like a dog and um, I just started getting angrier and angrier and um, I just had a a son that was he was almost two years old and my other son was probably about six at the time and so in the community they'd use different techniques to punish you for you know your incompetence or you know not being subordinate and uh, so they separated me from my wife put me on this trailer and uh, told me that I couldn't be alone with my children. And that was the fucking last straw, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I verbalized it. I was like, yo, you're, you can't. I've been a volunteer for 15 years, you know, an indentured servant. And, um, you know, no criminal record. I mean, I'm not an abusive person. Like, on the contrary, I've been a fucking volunteer that's taken vows of poverty and living like a monk you know, and, um, it was just a real spit in the face, you know? And so I just got angrier and angrier. And finally they just kicked me out and said, get the fuck out of here, which I was pretty shocked, you know, cause they don't normally do that kind of stuff, but you know, the, the leader does not like any dissent and, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of more of an alpha individual and, um, they didn't want me influencing other people. And so they kicked me out, you know, I had nothing, you know, when you're in a cult like that, you don't have contact with the outside world. So I didn't know anybody. So, um, kicked me out basically with a backpack and said, have a nice life. And, you know, I had two kids and a wife and my entire family was there and it's a real mental trip. I mean, the psychology behind it is some heavy, heavy indoctrination, you know, and religion in a lot of aspects has a lot of, so it's got a powerful influence on people. And so they kicked me out and uh, I was just out in the world trying to figure stuff out. And I knew one guy that was an architect 
and um, he told me I could like sleep in his office, and uh, so sleeping in this guy's office on the floor, and uh, basically uh, started just getting any type of side work I could get and saving money, and um, you know I didn't know what Netflix was even, man. Like I had this is, mm-hmm. this is five six years ago. I didn't I didn't know what Netflix was. I didn't have any credit. I didn't basically a very ignorant individual to how the world operates. And, uh, I was out for, I think it was about two months. I was starting to save a little bit of money, but you know, I was really fucked up in the head. Like I didn't know what to do without my kids or my ex-wife or, you know, my parents. And, uh, it was a really hard uh, thing to navigate. And then, uh, so about two months in, I got a call from them and, uh, found out that my, younger son had passed away and uh, that was a pretty heavy hit you know we were really close and um so anyway there's a lot of shit that happened in between that i don't want to get into the ugly details but they they uh they allowed me to come to his funeral and uh it's pretty rich allowed to come to my own son's funeral and uh so i gave my eulogy at the funeral and uh when i gave it they allowed me to give my eulogy. I had to ask permission to give a eulogy at my own son's funeral. So I gave it and it was, uh, you know, it was pretty heartfelt. You know, I was pretty broken. You know, it's, that's a tough thing to lose a two-year-old, you know. And uh, so they, uh, they told me I could come back after I gave the eulogy. And uh, motherfuckers, they knew that I had saved a little bit of money up. I had to buy all new tools again and... Um, so they told me I could come back and they knew, they knew that I had nothing and I wanted to come back. And so ended up coming back and I had like, I don't know, three or four contracts on the outside that I had to finish. I, you know, signed these contracts. I was like, well, I have to finish them. And so they said, well, yeah, you, you know, just as long as you give all the money back to us, you know, and you can go out for the next whatever, three weeks or something. And so I went and finished these contracts and came back in, signed over everything again, like reset. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was trying to heal with my ex-wife and, you know, trying to cope with the death of a child. It's a massive undertaking. And so anyway, started doing that and um, signed everything over back again, gave him my tools again and gave him the last bit of money I had for these contracts. And then they kicked me out again on my birthday <laughs> motherfuckers they got me i mean they uh there's some savvy people you know and uh so again starting over and um yeah, that was a tough time trying to figure out coming back into this world and losing everybody in your life and your child and my other child too and they knew i had nothing at the time so um you know they they took me to court to take custody of my other child. And uh, that's a, made me a little bitter. And uh, so anyway, ended up going through it and um, just trying to grind. And that's what I did. And so I left there and uh, there's a place close by and they teach um, like straw bale building, uh, earth plaster, um, a lot of natural building systems. So it's kind of like another little community in a way, but it wasn't uh, wasn't based off of religion, you know, more of a hippie hippie type community where they built stuff out of mud 
And uh, so I went there for, it was about a year and a half and uh, learned a lot about uh, earth plaster, uh, lime plaster, um, you know, just different techniques of building with earth and stuff like that. So um, put a lot more information in my arsenal of, you know, just decorative design and um, new building materials and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that was uh, an interesting time. And then um, about that time, uh, I'd been out for, uh, it was about a year and a half, maybe two years. And uh, one of the leader's daughters left. She's got twin daughters. And uh, <laughs> we ended up hooking up. And uh, it was like the sweetest fucking revenge you could imagine, man. Like, I was just on top of the world. I was like, ha-ha, motherfucker. It, you Good know. for you. <laughs> yeah, stick it to the man. See, I, was, I needed a redemption part. I was just getting yeah. heavy, man. <laughs> you know, at that time, I, I was starting to move on. And, um, you know, we went, went to court and stuff. And I had actually gotten, you know, 50% of the custody of my son. And... Um, which was really great. You know, that was all that I had really wanted. And so I was starting to move on with life and, you know, doing a lot of plaster work, building straw bale homes on the outside. And, um, you know, and then she came into my life and man, I was just on top of the world, but, uh, apparently cult leaders with a lot of money don't like it when you're <laughs> getting with their daughter. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, they put the heat back on, um, you know, and it's a, they have a lot of money, you know, I think they're worth over a quarter of a billion dollars at this point, you know, and they got a lot of lawyers and a lot of people that are willing to do anything for them, you know, when you're, mm -hmm. when you're in a cult like that, uh, you're, you're subservient to their, their will on every level. So the hard times kind of picked back up again, you know, I was sleeping with a gun under my pillow and, you know she was very ignorant to the world, even more so than me, you know, I'd been out in the world and, and, uh, you know, she was born there <laughs> and yeah. uh, th the influence of their belief system is fucking crazy, man. I mean, it, it's, it's more than Scientology. I mean, they believe in past lives and, uh, you know, just, uh, clairvoyance and, you know, psychic abilities. And, you know, I really loved her and, you know, I wanted to protect her. And so, it really had an effect on my work and, you know, I was hard to leave her alone, you know, and she didn't, she didn't really work for a minute. And, uh, anyway, so they took me back to court, nasty fucking knockdown, drag out shit, trying to take my kid again and, uh, ended up losing. I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. You know, I was still just a poor <laughs> struggling artist at the time. And, uh, so anyway, they ended up getting custody of my kid and, um, it just got really rough. And, um, you know, I got diagnosed with COPD like right around this time and, um, thought I was going to die. <laughs> and, uh, about that time the girl took off, you know, she was pretty wild, you know, it was kind of like a kid in a candy store coming out into this world and she'd never experienced mm -hmm. anything and I can't. I can't blame her, you know, so that was a pretty rough one for me. I was alone again and lost my kid and ended up having to pay all this fucking massive amounts of child support and retroactive child support and um, thinking I was going to die from COPD. 
And uh, so anyway, I uh, I moved to Tucson and um, just started doing, you know, concrete side stuff, whatever, making countertops or, um, you know, doing wall finishes, micro toppings, any, anything, you know, I was a roofing contractor for like 13 years. I mean, I know a lot about building and so I just hustled and did any type of job I could get my hands on. And, um, I, uh, started doing a Wim Hof breathing technique and I don't know if you've heard of nice. Wim Hof, the Iceman. So yep. <clears throat> COPD is, you know, it's like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease where it's just like a degeneration of your lungs. And uh, so I started doing that and really had a, started going to therapy and just trying to change my life on a lot of levels. And um, about uh, six months into it, um, I went back to the doctor to get my COPD checked up. And I've been doing this Wim Hof fucking three times a day. I was working out like crazy. And Can you explain that to people, the Wim Hof? Yeah, it's um, it's basically a breathing technique. You know, it's not really. Um, I think there's a lot of breathing techniques out there where they get into yoga, and it's more of a spiritual mm-hmm. type of thing. But uh, Wim Hof is more of um, it's a way to uh, you know, put a lot of oxygen in your blood system and expel uh, carbon dioxide because when we breathe, a lot of times we have carbon dioxide in our lungs, and we don't necessarily expel it you know it's it's toxic to human beings and um, so this is just a basically way to really get a lot of oxygen in your blood and get that shit out of your lungs and Mm -hmm. um so basically i started doing that like crazy and i went back into the doctor and they're like you don't got copd and so cobt copd is not curable there's no once you have it you have it you know it's like there's no no cure for it and uh, so anyway, they uh, said I didn't have it anymore. <laughs> like that really, it really changed my life on a lot of levels. You know, when you feel that you have a terminal illness, it <laughs> makes you feel like you got a terminal illness, you know, mm-hmm. kind of give up. So anyway, um, I've been doing concrete the whole time, you know, still just whatever countertops, not anything really big. And um, so I really stepped out of the industry for quite a while. You know, I was really, really into it for a long time. And, you know, I, I still like to have Facebook wars with people, you know, talk shit to Brandon. No, you? <laughs> Whoever, you know, like uh, my ego is, you know, could be larger than life sometimes. And um, anyway, so about this time, like actually before I found out that I got rid of the COPD and I was still really struggling with life and um ended up getting into motorcycles and uh, i was always kind of the person that was like i'd never want to ride a motorcycle they're dangerous and you know why the hell would anybody want to ride a motorcycle you could kill yourself or somebody else and now look at you a hooligan (laughs) yeah (laughs) so my ex-girlfriend the cult leader's daughter she (laughs) got it she wanted to get into motorcycles and i was like well fuck i can't let this crazy chick get into motorcycles and ride them by herself and uh so she ended up getting her license and getting a motorcycle and i was like oh fuck i gotta get a motorcycle so i got a motorcycle and then she took off on me and i was in a deep state of depression you know i was ready to just check out 
after everything that happened and um, really hermitized myself. And, um, you know, I was just sitting there just trapped in my own mind and depression and, you know, drinking a lot. And uh, it just came clear to me. I was like, you have to start forming new neural pathways. You know, you've been going down the same fucking road in your mind for just too long. And it's, it was getting to be really dangerous for me, you know, like psychologically, I was not well. And so one night I got up and I was like, I'm going to ride my bike to Sedona. I didn't have a license. You know, I still don't have a fucking motorcycle license. And, uh, so I got on this bike and I rode to Sedona and it was terrifying for me. I mean, it was so out of my comfort zone from being in a cult to, you know, living a life of purity and whatever all that was and uh road to sedona and uh man i was like wow this is amazing and um i didn't i didn't think i even had insurance on the bike then and uh, i got i was getting close to sedona and i was going a little fast you know i was probably going 80 in a 65 or some shit and uh there was a cop and i was like oh Oh, no fuck you know and I was like, man, I can't have any more negative shit. And um, I just punched it. <laughs> well, that's, that's one way to do it. That was my, <laughs> my first uh, motorcycle chase with a cop. And um, I got away really quick. It was exhilarating, man. I can't tell you. Fucking endorphins and the blood was pumping. I was just on top of the world. Got away. Scary as shit, Got too. Got away man. with it. Yeah, yeah, man. I was terrified. Oh. And, uh, so anyway, I went to Sedona and spent the day there and rode back the next night. And uh, it was late. I was coming back into Tucson, and uh, you know, I didn't really have any friends there. Or, you know, I was just alone and uh, depressed. And as I was coming into town, um, like on the frontage road, I looked down, and there was these guys on motorcycles racing. Bing, bing, bing. You know, and there was probably 40, 50 people down there all lined up, you know, and I was like, holy shit, is this a motorcycle gang or something? (laughs) And uh, something told me, it was like, just go down there, man, just go check it out. And I went down there and, um, you know, there's street racing down there, just zipping down the the frontage road, 150 miles an hour, just lining up. And I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing, you know, and I went down there and like, Right off the bat, they were all friendly. It wasn't a motorcycle mm-hmm. gang. It was just a local Tucson rider scene. And um, yep. so I sat there and watched them for a while. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And um, I don't know, about, I don't know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, they all started getting on their bikes and leaving. And I was like, oh, they're just going home. And so I got on my bike and followed them. And we went through town and we tore through town. You know, I'd never, ex- it was like fucking fast and the furious, you know, and mm-hmm. I had this brand new bike I had bought. It was like a Ninja 650. I thought it was fast or something. I had no clue about motor. Oh, uh, 650. Yeah. This, this baby's fast. And I went riding with them and, you know, there's mm-hmm. chicks and like, they were just fucking flying. We're flying past cops and stuff. And like, I knew right then I was like, this, this is my jam. <laughs> these are my people these are my people <laughs> and so um you know come to find out you know there's a meetup every week every weekend mm-hmm. friday saturday and there's these these forums and you know and the bike scene is 
out of control in Tucson. And so I started going to these, these bike meets every weekend. It was all I had in life. And, um, within a month, I realized my bike was just a 650. And, um, mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, I need a faster bike. So I went and bought a thousand CC Fireblade, and, um, just supplanted myself in this scene, like just die hard. And it really started getting crazy. You know, I really started riding a lot and, um, you know, I was putting in a shit ton of seat time and, and I was still really broken inside, you know, from all this trauma and I didn't give a fuck, you know? So, you know, we're doing 180, 190 mile fucking runs through Tucson on streets that are 35 miles an hour, you know, right through Tucson. Mm-hmm. And, um, it got really serious. You know, I got in a lot of really serious wrecks, almost died, you know, multiple times, more than multiple times, hundreds of times, just really serious wrecks that fucked me up physically bad. I don't know how I walked away from them. And, um, you know, it, it's an adrenaline rush and it's another addiction. And, um, you know, so my thing was, let's go out and go find cops and, you know, let's <laughs> go out and, play tag, you know, so it, uh, it, Tucson really started cracking down on it here in the last few years. They got, you know, multiple choppers and Cessnas and, you know, and we were nonstop, you know, it's, you know, you have a hundred people willing to follow you around town running from cops, you feel on top of the world, you know, it's kind of like sticking it to the man. So, um, mm-hmm. anyway, I, I acquired a pretty good drinking habit, you know, throughout all of this and, um, you know, talk about dangerous, you're on a thousand cc motorcycle running from cops at 180 miles an hour. Um, it's detrimental to your health and everybody else. And, um, anyway, right before I moved here, I got in a really serious chase with the police broad daylight. It was like noon rush hour. And, uh, they sent out choppers after me and I was by myself. I was, you know, I was in the backyard making concrete and whatever and just needed to blow off some steam so you know about noon i hopped on the bike to go hit the highway and just do a quick little run and i tore down the highway you know 180 miles an hour and did my little loop and came back and didn't think nothing of it and i pulled into town and um just kind of just coming home so i'm one of the streets right i live right downtown tucson and um this undercover cop coming coming toward me i was going by him i wasn't speeding in i didn't think nothing of it but um you know he freaking hit the cherries and dukes of hazard in it right there in the middle of the street you know (laughs) you know my bike blow a ferrari out of the water you know i I Mm -hmm. never never stopped you know so i just like later buddy took off and um i was getting close to home i looked up and there's the chopper you know 50 feet above me, you know, and they have serious tracking devices, you know, they have like heat lock, you know, they can, they can, you know, they can come after you. And generally like at night, it's a different thing. You know, you, it's easier to escape. This was broad daylight rush hour. And I was like, Oh shit. You know? And, um, so I tore off. I was like, I'm going to lose him. Went downtown and man, I was going through the high rises. I couldn't shake him. I could not shake his ass. 
and um, came back out of downtown, and I was cooking down the road at you know a buck twenty on streets that are thirty five miles an hour. You know, I'm not proud of this shit now, but uh, came up over the hill, and there was a stoplight, and it was backed up traffic, and I was like, oh shit, and hit the brakes and came into the traffic and there was some gravel and just dropped the bike and <laughs> flew in through the cars and right out into the intersection and there's a chopper just you know gonna get me and anyway I got the bike up and it started thank god and went on another 30 minute chase out into the desert and you know they couldn't couldn't keep up with me and so I got away but that was a real eye opener like man you're a fucking asshole you really got to change your life here and uh, mm-hmm. so that's when i decided to you know leave tucson and you know kind of start over and so i mean it didn't happen right away but um anyway i left tucson you know and i've been looking i've been looking to get out of tucson for a long time you know i've done a lot of um you know training basically where just independent training where i'll go to people's private shops and you know, so I've traveled all over doing that for a long time. And um, at the time, Paul had broken his collarbone. The guy that I, oh. O'Neill, he broke his collarbone. And he's working on this massive bench, you know. And um, so I came out here to help him with it. And um, it was the first time in a long time that I met somebody that I really resonated with and that I could trust. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of the same same ideas about concrete you know paul is a really good human you know he's probably my best friend at this point in life and um so you know we talked about you know i'm just maybe come out and we'll start doing it together and um so yeah i don't know it took a took a process to come out here but um yeah i got rid of my business in tucson and um sold pretty much everything and loaded up a little u-haul and here I am now. <laughs> yeah, you say that so nonchalantly. Like yeah. <laughs> nothing 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 to see here, folks. Like Yeah. Well, it's been a rough road, you know. Um alcoholism has really affected my life. You know, I've obviously been through a lot of trauma and um, you know, I didn't uh didn't deal with it too well. So I used alcohol to insulate my my nerves and mind and um so recently i've just you know had the epiphany that i'm fucking done i am done with alcohol nice. and uh so i've really made some massive changes in my life here just in the last you know three months or whatever and um good for you dude yeah so i'm yeah i'm a big pothead you know i was a big pothead just drunk pothead and um you know it's like neurodegeneration you know i getting stupider and stupider by the fucking moment and um it affected all walks of my life you know and um so yeah now i've i'm clean sober 100 percent, no nothing i mean i don't i haven't smoked any pot and not even a drop of alcohol um and yeah i i read a lot now um no video games do a lot of audiobooks I, I run like crazy now. Um, it's really the only thing that can kind of get me out of my head. You know, is, uh, mm. I'm doing seven to 10 miles every day. And, um, I do, I work out a lot. I'm doing like 
probably 600 push-ups a day and as many sit-ups as I can get in and um, still doing the Wim Hof, trying to, you know, keep my mind and body as strong as I possibly can. And so it's, it's definitely, um, it's really helped me um, focus more on my work, you know, and um, over the years I've done, you know, so much concrete, you know, I'm, I've never been a super successful concrete artist, but I've probably made more concrete than most of the successful concrete artists, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, but a lot of it, I think, my detail and a lot of stuff was not super on par, you know. It was more of the artistic, creative shit, you know. And um, but now it's, you know, I'm able to focus, you know, the more advanced mold making, and um, it's just, it's definitely upped my skill level a lot you know and um so yeah here i am now and uh lucky to be here really i don't know how i've traversed all this and actually come out being able to walk or even alive (laughs) well i mean the fact that you even came out on the tail end is impressive like not not even looking from a um like, a, oh, you did such a good job, uh, like traversing all that. It's just like, it's amazing that you're still in one piece. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> you, for not being a religious guy, you got somebody looking out for you. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Because I haven't been looking out for me. You know, that's. <laughs> I'm alive in spite of myself. That's exactly. <laughs> You know, and I, I mean, we've kind of gone way away from the medium that we're here to talk about, you know, and um, I'd really actually like to talk more about the medium, you know, and um, whatever you want to talk about is fine. Like, cause like, here's the thing though, is like, even though talking about like the getting away from the alcoholism and, and some of those things, like there are some people who are in some dark places that aren't even near what you went through that. For whatever reason, and and you know more people in the industry than I do, but alcoholism and drinking excessively seems to be part of the course in our industry for some reason. I I don't particularly understand it where it's almost like a badge of honor, Mm -hmm. Um, but alcohol has never been my thing. I mean, I had a bad experience with it where a girl that I was head over heels for got drunk, slept with her ex, and got pregnant. So like- it, it I, I've never understood the appeal of it. Like I can understand like maybe having one or something like that, but is there anything that you would recommend to people in our industry or maybe just in general of where they maybe just do it a little bit too much? Um, sure. I mean, I can give my perspective on it. I mean, I don't, I'm not here to preach to the choir or anything, you know, and I don't No, I, I get that. But a, just any a, helpful thing. I'm like I'm a reform smoker or some shit where I look down on people for drinking, but for me, yeah, yeah. for me, I, I know now that it's just, I have one speed, you know, same with the fucking motorcycles, you know, one speed really fast and same with my concrete. That's why I used rapid set concrete for all those years. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's unfortunate in a lot of ways. I'm definitely a thrill seeker and I've always been an addict on some level, you know, mm-hmm. join a fucking cult, another form of addiction, you know, and so through all of this. You know, just recently I read this book. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm-hmm. 
and it's really changed my perspective on everything in life. I would recommend that book to anyone and everyone, even if you don't have alcoholism, because I think in this life, we build up a persona of who we believe ourselves to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the concrete world specifically, you know, it's, it's a hard industry. Um, like I said, there's a lot of big egos and you kind of have to have that in a lot of levels, I think, to pull off some of the shit that we make. And, um, in the book, it talks about, you know, we're dopamine driven creatures, you know, Mm -hmm. we get dopamine from all different types of things. It could be positives or negatives. We get dopamine from drinking, um, love, sex, um, our work, running. And um, it basically says that, you know, if you want to form new neural pathways in your mind, that you're not just continually going down the same road because this world can beat people up. You know, I think alcohol is a way to insulate your nerves from, you know, the hard reality that we all live in. You know, nobody, mm-hmm. nobody has it just fucking perfect. You know, we all struggle on some level. And um, I think those struggles can make us self-absorbed in a lot of ways that we are focused on our own pain and we, we don't necessarily see that other people could possibly be in pain or, you know, whatever. And we, we can hyper-focus on those things. And um, in order to change those habits, you know, we can, we can say something like, I'm going to set a goal, like New Year's is coming up and like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to quit smoking or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work harder this year. And um, we get dopamine from that. You know, it feels good. We're telling ourselves or other people, you know, like, we're going to do this. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean shit. Just because right. you set a fucking goal, you'll never, if I say, you know, like if somebody asks you, like, are you a smoker? And you say, well, I'm trying to quit. You're never going to fucking quit. Same with alcohol. Well, I'm trying to quit. It's an excuse. You're making an excuse and instead of owning it, you know, you still get dopamine from, you know, just how you think. And unless you can actually change what you believe, um, like instead of saying, I'm trying to quit smoking or I'm trying to quit drinking, you can say, I'm not a drinker. Mm -hmm. And you have to actually implement that and believe it. So you have to change that about yourself. And so I think with, you know, drinking in our field of work, and there's a lot of guys that like booze, you know, or Mm -hmm. or a little blow or I don't know, you know, whatever floats your boat. But until you can actually say how you view yourself and say, I'm not that and actually believe it you're not going to be able to change it, you know, and in this process, I've had a lot of people reach out to me, you know, that are, um, you know, concerned about, you know, my alcoholism and basically say, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you need AA, you know, or you need a, you need a sponsor. And, um, I've already been in a fucking cult. And so my viewpoint on AA is a fucking cult. And, Look, if you want to join AA, that's your thing. If it, if it help you quit alcoholism, more power to you. But I'm not joining another fucking cult. Because basically, and actually the history of cults, you know, AA was actually helped 
being it was partially developed by a cult called Synanon. I've done a lot of research on this shit. You know, cults have been my life for too fucking long. And, um, you know, the idea of living in the past, you know, my alcoholism was spurred from living in the past because there's these things in my mind that I couldn't get over. You know, and they, they say that the past is depression and the future is anxiety. Yep. And so unless we're living in the moment, um, you're in one of those places. And so if I go to AA and I sit there with a bunch of other alcoholics and I say, hi, I'm Josh and I'm an alcoholic. Well, right there, I just fucking confirm that I'm an alcoholic. And, you know, the basic mm -hmm. preface of AA is that you need it for the rest of your life to never relapse. I mean, that is that is AA. It's a you will you will have to come here for the rest of your life. And to me, that's similar to religion or similar to being in a cult, you need this for the rest of your life to be saved by Jesus or whatever. And look, if, if these things help you and they can make your life better then you know, more power to you. But for me, I'm not going to go sit in a fucking room with a bunch of people there to say, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict and mm -hmm. tell their fucking sob story over and over again. You know, I just told my whole sob story right here over again, you know, but I'm not, I'm not beholden to that anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I don't need to drink anymore because I've had a shitty life, you know, and now I have to take responsibility for all of those things. So, you know, I've been bitter about being in a cult, losing my kid, you know, it's been a long time. You know, I was the guy that was like, Oh, I lost a kid, you know, and I wanted sympathy for it. I don't need sympathy for that shit anymore. You know, it's everything that has basically occurred in my life. I put myself in those situations, you know, and so I have to take full responsibility for it. You know, whereas probably two years ago, you know, I was on a quest for revenge for this cult and I spent every waking moment in my mind, in my body plotting my fucking revenge or, you know, it's just such a waste of time. And so until I realized like, yo, you're the one that joined that fucking cult. I did it. You know, nobody held me at gunpoint. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It wasn't easy to get out, but I should have done more research. It's like a fucking credit card, you know, like we can bitch and moan. Well, I'm in all this deep credit card debt, right? Like, mm -hmm. well, guess what? You're the fucking one that got the credit card. You're the one that spent more money than you fucking had, and now you're in debt. It's a predatorial model, don't get me wrong. But guess what? You're the one that signed up for it. You're the one that spent the money. You should have done a little more fucking research on how credit cards work. And mm -hmm. own it. You just got to own it. Because complaining about it will change nothing. You know, I was really into politics, concrete mm -hmm. politics, and worldly politics right mm -hmm. and uh you know i never really liked donald trump you know what i mean and i don't i don't really float either way left or right you know i don't really like joe biden either you know or don't really like certain individuals in the concrete world you know and i've talked a lot of shit you know brandon i've talked a little bit I've talked a lot of <laughs> shit about brandon gore you know and yeah. talked a lot of shit about donald trump 
or, or whoever, mm. you know, and at the end of the day, my little fucking opinions don't change any of that, you know, so I might not like Donald Trump and I could sit there and bitch about him or politics that I really don't even understand. You know, I think most human beings don't really understand politics and how they really work and the manipulation that goes into it to the masses to kind of keep us fucking going at each other, you know? And it's dawned on me that like my opinion with somebody else doesn't change the fact that Donald Trump doesn't give a fuck. He's going to be rich. He's going to be powerful and he's going to keep living his life. However the fuck he wants. Same with Joe Biden or same with whoever, you know? And so it's, it's been a humbling experience for me to realize that like, I've been so opinionated about what I think I know in life. And I really don't know shit. You know, I mean, I was told these, these are hands and fingers, but somebody else told me that I don't fucking know what these digits are, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's allowed me to like, you know, be more humble in who I am and my perspectives on what I think I know. And so, um, I would just say with people with drinking, you know, if it's, if it's affecting your life, your relationships, you know, the people that you love, um, maybe cut back or try to quit because I, you know, for so long I got dopamine from alcohol, you know, to the point where like, I didn't feel good. Like I didn't have ambition for any, nothing made me happy, you know, and I just sit there and drink. And like, not even going out to drink, I would just sit on the fucking couch and drink. And like, what a shitty existence, you know, that's the only place I could get pleasure from. And, um, you know, in that when you're not drinking, or when you are drinking, you know, you, you can't see outside of it, you can't see that you can get dopamine from other places, you can attach that, that dopamine molecule to something positive. And, um, so, you know, coming off of alcohol was, that's a beast, man. Like, it's not an easy thing. You don't feel good. You don't, you don't find pleasure in anything. You know, you can't watch TV. You can't, you can't even just enjoy the sun outside. You know, I'm living by the fucking beach and I go sit at the beach and I was just like, Ugh, this fucking sucks, you know? And so I had to start doing things to get dopamine from other places. And that's when I came across this book, Atomic Habits. And it talks about like um, dopamine stacking. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to take a negative where you get dopamine from and attach it to a positive. So it's like, say, so you get dopamine from watching Netflix, right? And it's not necessarily that good for you. You know, it's kind of just a mindless entertainment, sitting on the couch, getting heavier, you know, want to drink while you're watching it or whatever. <laughs> and so when you're dopamine stacking, you can take something that's a negative and you can introduce a positive. So you can say like, well, and you got to set up these systems in order to do it. It's not setting a goal. It's setting up a system in your life for success. And so say I want to come home, I work hard all day. I want to come home and I watch Netflix. Well, you got to write this shit down and you got to write it. And you have to follow it. And anybody in the world can do this if they're committed to just changing their life. 
And so you come home and you say, I'm going to watch Netflix, but I also got to run on the treadmill while I'm watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so you're introducing a negative with a positive. Um, and it's like, it, you can say like, um, you know, I can have whatever chocolate tonight, you know, but I have to do 10 push-ups. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting that dopamine hit from the chocolate, but your mind and body are starting to also realize they can attach that dopamine to something positive, like doing sit-ups or push-ups. You know, and it, it's a fascinating concept because we are chemical factories, you know, our emotions, our thoughts are all driven by chemicals that our body produces. And so, you know, depending on what chemical you're, if it's whatever, serotonin or, um, you know, testosterone or estrogen, or, I mean, we are highly affected and we're not even aware of it. It's. You know, it's just, we get juiced by our own supply and, um, it can send you down a path of something you don't want to really be doing. You know, I think alcohol is, uh, it can send you into some really dark places. You know, I've had a lot of people in this concrete community reach out to me in this and saying, you know, as I've been making a lot of videos about, you know, kind of my personal walk through this, you know, and I'm trying to be like as transparent as I possibly can, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to hide it, you know, and say, well, my alcoholism wasn't that bad, you know, or it was fucking bad, man. And I might, I wasn't drinking hard alcohol or anything like that. I, IPA was my crack, man. And I know a lot of people that love IPA and, you know, I drink a 12 pack in one sitting of IPA and like, it just put me in a cloud of sadness and no ambition, you know, and doing really dangerous shit. I didn't want to get on my fucking motorcycle and tie all the six pack in IPA. I'm like, that is so irresponsible, you know, like a little bit <laughs> fucking shitty thing, you know? So I, I gotta be transparent about it. I can't like downplay, you know, where I've been, you know, I've done some really shitty stuff and good on you, man. And I had no excuse for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's also affected my relationships in the concrete community, you know, because there's all these fucking camps, right? We got so many camps yeah. in this fucking different thoughts and opinions that they don't change shit, you know? So there's podcasts right now that are, you know, bop, 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 bop. doesn't change shit. You know what I mean? People are going to keep doing, they're going to keep doing, they're going to keep having the opinions they're going to have just fucking sounding boards, you know? And like, it's unfortunate because it separates us in this industry, you know? And, and to me, I got into the concrete because we're all concrete brothers, fucking like family, you know? And uh, with these new camps arising, you know, it's, it's parting the waters. And um, I don't think it benefits our industry or the little guys that are wanting to come into it because they found this thing that they really appreciate as an art form. You know, I'm, I, I do this, this forum on Facebook with Martin, you know, Martin Haddock. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we got like 10,000 members now and, mm-hmm. um, way bigger than pretty much all the other forums. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's designed to help people. It's not designed to sell a fucking product. Okay. Like and that's, you know, I have, my own bitches and shit about that because 
you know, when I first got into this industry, I couldn't afford certain high priced products, you know, and, um, there's so many products that we use and I say, I got I use them too. You know, I use plasticizers and acrylics and fibers and densifiers, defoamers, you know, <laughs> like there's a, there's a barrage of things that we need depending on the level of what you're trying to create. But you can also fucking go to home Depot and make some high end fucking beautiful concrete. And I've always wanted to share that with people because in the beginning I couldn't afford Forton or whatever the latest cheap. liquefaction compound is. You, you know, I couldn't get right. it. And, um, you know, I got to give real kudos to Tommy Cook or Tegan Joy because I had a lot of naysayers in the beginning, you know, like you wouldn't bake a cake without flour, would you? And yeah. well, you can fucking bake a cake without flour. And you can make badass concrete shit without every fucking high-end product that's overpriced out there for a lot of shit. And, um, you know, I want to share that shit freely with people that are deserved of it, you know, and I can tell the difference, you know, there's, I see a lot of young people like my, like I was back then that really had a passion for this medium. And there were certain people that really told me like, Hey, well, you, you don't need this. You just have to do this. You know, if you don't have acrylic, you can still make GFRC. You just need to leave it in the mold a little bit longer, you know? So there's mm -hmm. a million and one techniques that we can use in this medium to make great things that it's not going to cost us 20 bucks a square foot to make some concrete. That's supposed to be the best in the world. And, um, you know, like, Concrete is a super advanced science. I mean, it is super advanced and I can't possibly encompass it all. You know, I don't, anybody in this industry that says they encompass concrete fully is fully full of shit because it, it you know, it's, what is it? It's the third most used product on the planet next to water and sand. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, they're building skyscrapers in Dubai that makes our little concrete countertops looks like a fucking joke, man. You know, and the engineering and yeah, all the parametric the, architecture that they're starting to do now, like the science and engineering that's going into it is this so far is beyond bonkers. our little little realm of making you know art for rich people. You know, I, I'm just like, you look at it and you're like, man, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I know a lot about concrete, more shit than needs to even be known in my mind a lot of times about it like, mm -hmm. you know almost every day i go in and i make concrete i've been making concrete every day almost every day for the past 15 to 20 years and uh even like on my days off it's like an addiction i go in and make some dumbass shit like just experimenting with well maybe i can try this you know with the seal like sealers and you know different protocols people people have not done a lot of experimenting like I've done, you know, and like people say, Oh, you can't do that. I said, fucking watch me do it. I can do that. Like, what do you mean? I can do that, you know, but you know, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend experience experimenting on people's jobs, you know, like yeah. if you have a contract with someone, you might want to stick to you know the basics here. But, you know, I've, <laughs> but I you need know more art pieces for my home or, you know, than 
pretty much anybody, you know, I've, I've gone through like my last place. I probably redid my countertops four times in one year, you know, it's like, well, I don't like that. I'd rip it out and I'd do a new one, you know, and putting, I feel you. Yeah. We're on our fourth coffee table now for the same room. Yeah. <laughs> and then we decided to get a new couch and the wife's like, it's not going to fit. So I haven't even finished the fourth coffee table yet. And I have to make a fifth. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not pleased with the sealer. I'm like, oh, I'm doing some ICT. And I'm like, oh, it's fucking stained. I'm like, God, it's already stained, you know? And I'm like, not to say I'm not talking too much shit about ICT. Uh, you and Chuck are going to get me fucking roasted, I, man. I, well, I, <laughs> you know, I'll put in a plug for ICT because I use ICT like crazy. You know, it is good stuff, you know? But at the same time, they're, that's why I got a beef with products and the way people sell them because they all scratch. They all stain. I don't care if it's UHPC, UPC, GFRC, whatever. We don't live in a world where everything's fucking made out of diamonds. Okay. You can actually scratch a diamond too, you know? <laughs> and so a lot of my beef with products, you know, as it comes across is this is the best or this is the last sealer you'll ever use, you know? And so, you know, these camps, you know, I'm just a little guy. I'm not a big trainer on either side. You know, I've done a lot of training and I've done a lot of concrete. But I also know there's a lot of product placement in this industry where people might not be totally honest about their products or they don't want to. They don't want to disclose what's in their products. And there's a reason for that, because a lot of the stuff that are in their products, anybody can make it. And so when you, when you understand mixed design and what goes into concrete, you know, different sands, different types of cement, the aggregates, the pozzolans, and, you know, I don't use bag mixes. Not to say I'm not telling anybody not to use a bag mix. You know, if you're successful and your company's banging and it's easier for you to bring in a pallet of bag mix, be it from Fishstone, be it from Buddy Rhodes, be it from Kodiak, uh, you know, be it from Trinix, we got to make sure we got all the, all the love out there. Yeah. You know, all of these guys have products and I'm not trying to deter people that are successful from using these products. But what I am trying to say is don't fucking tell everybody that this is all you can make good concrete with because it's bullshit. And so I'm here for the little guy in this industry you can't afford a bag of whatever from any of these guys or you can't afford their sealers or their plasticizers or whatever call me up and i'll tell you my number is out there if you're on my forum and you have a real sincere question i'll drop what i'm doing and take a phone call for fucking free and i will spend mm -hmm. a lot of time with you if you're sincere and you have passion about this medium i'll step away from what i'm doing I, I, dude, I take phone calls at three a fucking clock at night from people in Australia or Bangkok or wherever. And I'm happy to share it with people because they, they want to get into this industry. And the more we share these people, they are going to blow up. And, you know, eventually if they're serious about it, they'll buy these products. You know, I buy these products. I don't buy the bag mix, <laughs> but I do buy a lot of these products from people, you know, and so I think it behooves us all to, you know, share a little bit more freely. I'm not saying give away all your intellectual property. And you know what, like, even if you did give it away, 
like somebody new coming into this industry, just because I share all this information with them, you think they're going to pull off a, you know, a 20 foot span fabric form sink or something like that? No, they're not going to be able to do that. You know? Yeah. There's a learning curve associated with everything that we do. So even if you, uh, I'm not saying to do this cause I have my own little thing that I make and I don't know that I would be willing to be like, this is exactly how you'd make this thing. So I, I get the proprietary aspect of things. Um, but just to say, like, even if you were to say like, this is how I do it, the chances of somebody being able to pull that off, like first, second, third, fourth, fifth try is basically zero. Yeah. Um, so you talked a whole lot about all sorts of things, and I'm having trouble deciding which one to go after first. But let's start with knowledge acquisition. Um, for the person that's just like brand new coming in, how would like what are the things that you think that they should focus on first? Like let's say that they wanted to go out there. Let's say they didn't have the confidence to say call you up and ask you a bunch of questions because they don't think that they're, I don't know, maybe good enough. They're, they don't have anything to offer you. What are some things that they could go do or resources that they should really pay attention to to start kind of like assimilating some of that information that they need to make good quality pieces? Well, I don't think right off the bat you're going to be able to just make good quality pieces. I think, like I said, you know, the first piece I ever made was in a wheelbarrow with a hoe. Mm -hmm. It was a bag of sand and a bag of cement. It didn't even have fibers in it, you know. And I think um, – you know, there's a lot of resources on YouTube or, you know, just YouTube alone. You know, Mark Silabuski from Trinic, kudos to that guy. You know, yep. he's put out a wealth of knowledge on YouTube. And if you, mm -hmm. if you just go to his, his site, you can watch videos all day long. And some of them are going to be way over your fucking head, you know. Oh, yeah. But if, yeah. if you're dedicated to this craft – you're going to sit your ass down and try to focus on it. You know, that's, if you want it, it's there for the taking, you know, and I know everybody says, go take a class, you know, and our class is better than this class. And we're blah, 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 fucking bullshit. It deters the small person from actually learning the craft. And I don't like that, you know, and that's part of my ego and my opinion but I am also entitled to my opinion. And so in my effort to help the smaller guy, I would say go to Home Depot, buy a bag of type one, two Portland cement, buy some sand, 30, 60 grit aggregate, and uh, go into your place, your garage, or if you don't have a garage, your living room or your porch and make a little mold. It doesn't have to be a countertop. Even it could be a, little planter box or something mix those two things together with water and pour it in that mold pop it out and see what it does you know it's a process of elimination on a lot of levels you can basically see in how it reacts you know i mean getting into the exothermic reaction and the concrete matrix and you know a lot of people aren't ready for that yet you know particle packing mm -hmm. on a you know, very dense particle level is, it's a little advanced, but what you can do is just go buy some of these products and they're not going to cost you a whole lot of money and start experimenting with them. And, you know, you find, you know, I was, 
watching your your other podcast yesterday with Lawson uh, Design or whatever, and um, you know I haven't seen a lot of your work, you know, and um, I really I feel, I feel some shit talking coming along. I really <laughs> I really appreciate no I, I really appreciate the way that you're forming your concrete because it's your own it's your own thing, you know you're going into this medium mm-hmm. and you're vertical casting and you're getting a different texture, and that's kind of you know it you're putting yourself into it you know, and what you like and what you think is cool, you know? And so you're kind of going down a path of what other people aren't necessarily going to go down. And it, it separates you from other people. It makes your, your artwork unique. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of people that make good concrete out there, but it's also kind of ugly. You know what I mean? I mean, it can be really structurally sound, but it could also mm-hmm. look like, I mean, and that's my opinion, you know, art is subjective, you know, things that I like, other people don't like, or vice versa. And so I can't like poo-poo, I'm not trying to poo-poo somebody's shit, it's just my perspective on it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I like fabric forming so much, or flex forming, you know, there's different different ways to do it, is that it kind of takes it takes our thoughts and opinions out of the piece. It's like, um, you know, Brandon taught me this in his class, you know, with fabric forming. It, it follows the golden proportion and the golden mean, you know, it's like 1.6 <clears throat> on a basic level. And it's the proportion that occurs in nature, you know, the human physique, trees, shells. I don't know if you're familiar with what I'm talking about. It's like Fibonacci's yeah, golden compass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at nature, it's beautiful. And there's no right angles in nature, you know, other than maybe some crystals or something like that. It's, it follows this proportion of the universe and you can get concrete to do that. And that's why when you see fabric forming, it's so beautiful. You know, the curves they are, they're a naturally occurring curve that conforms to that proportion. And so I really like doing stuff like that. And it, it kind of takes my own ego and the way I think shit should be, you know, I, I love it when I have clients that are like, well, how would you do this? You know what I mean? So it, it it always turns out better when I have a client that's like, you know, make it how you think would look good because I'm more of the artist and not just their paintbrush. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think with learning the medium, instead of starting out with a class or a bag mix, or the most high-end products that you can get on the market, you're starting out with a, an art form that you get to be more creative in it. Because if you just jump into a class, you're already so heavily influenced by a certain type of person's point of view on how concrete should be made. And concrete can be mm-hmm. made a billion different ways. There's a billion different ways to make the same piece of concrete that we all make. A countertop, you could mm-hmm. form it a million ways. You know, you could use silicone, you could use hot glue, you could use two by fours, you could use melamine, you could use MDF and coat it with some type of resin, you know, and I think we all really get attached to how we've learned how to do it. And it limits our ability to create and learn, actually learn more. And so if, if you can start out in this industry, just small and learning the ins and outs of it, it'll come. And I'm not saying to never take a class. You know, I think there's a lot of info 
that you can learn and, you know, obtain from classes. But I think um, going right out off the bat and spending 5K on a class that you really don't understand the medium yet, I don't know if that, I wouldn't recommend that uh, personally. You know, if that's your thing, go do it. I'm not, I'm not here to poo-poo anybody's shit. But I, I'm just a huge proponent of understanding the medium. And it's like painting, you know. If you want to start painting, go get some fucking crayons. They're cheap. Get some pencils. And you get a piece of paper and you start drawing on it. You don't need to go take a, a fucking painter's course right off the bat and say, whoa, I want to be the most successful fucking painter in the world. And... Not to say it's a good thing when you, you get to that level and you want to learn higher concepts on art and, um, you know, then, yeah, you're going to put some more money into it. But art is so subjective, man. It's just like what separates a fucking $10 million painting from a fucking little kid's Crayola painting? Because some of the art I see out there, it looks like a little kid painted it with their fucking Crayolas and they're asking $10 million for it. You know, that's where it gets into the marketing aspect of this industry is how do you sell people, you know, and the psychology behind that, you know, it's like what makes a fucking Louis Vuitton handbag worth $10,000 when you can get one from China that really it only cost 10 cents to make, you know, does a Louis Vuitton handbag cost even a fraction of what they sell it for fuck no it's human psychology and it's it's upselling so it's like most human beings they value something that costs more money so you can have a very wealthy person and you can say this countertop is five thousand dollars they don't want to fucking buy it they want to buy it if it costs twenty five thousand dollars though right in that fat paycheck gets to that ego and it's I can spend $25,000 on a fucking countertop where the average is there anything that you've read or watched that has helped you understand that psychology aspect a little bit more like is it like a, a book or maybe there's a podcast of, or a YouTube video that focuses on that there's a ton. or is that just something you've learned over progress well, or over time the psychology of being in a cult and how to manipulate a mind you know there's tactics to all human beings that we're susceptible to you know, and it's, um, it boils down to basic human psychology and we can all be influenced in a lot of ways. We are all influenced in a lot of ways, you know, product placement, you know, why do drink people drink Pepsi or Coke? You know, why do, why is McDonald's so popular? You know, because these massive corporations have implemented techniques to influence the masses through psychology. You know, and it's, there's a lot of really good stuff out there. You know, um, I've been reading this book called uh, Influence by, uh, was it Robert Cialdini? And, um, you know, there's there's tons of shit out there. I mean, there is so much stuff out there that if you aren't just scrolling Facebook and TikTok, which I am so guilty of, man, I've spent, I've wasted so much fucking time on things of no value in my life. You know, I mean, if you spend an hour a day on Facebook, that's 375 hours a year. What if you applied those 375 hours to whatever, if it's learning about concrete, you know, instead of going and spending $5,000 on a concrete class, just stop scrolling Facebook for one hour a day. If you surf 
five hours a day of Facebook, take one of those hours and incorporate it into watching YouTube videos on learning about concrete. That's 375 hours a year, you know? And so we all have the ability to make excuses of why we can't do stuff, why we don't have time. And I am as guilty as the next for wasting my mental time, my physical time on things that I can't change the past mm -hmm. politics. Um, you know, so we can, we can say why we can't do something, but really we have no fucking excuse since I've stopped drinking. I have more time than I fucking know what to do with. Like literally I don't sleep now. I get two hours of sleep a night, maybe three sometimes. And, you know, say if I work 10, 12 hours a day, I still got another nine hours that I'm awake. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going out of my head right now with not drinking and a lot of other stuff that I don't necessarily want to get into, but I have more time than I know what to do with. And if you, if you put that time into positive things where you actually do get dopamine from it. So I never like running and it's hard as hell. Like I went running last night. It was like nine, 10 o'clock at night, pouring rain. That little voice in my head was saying, oh man, it's, it's cold. It's raining, you know? And like, I watch a lot of David Goggins. I don't know if you mean David Goggins. Oh, that dude is. He say that little voice, that small voice inside your head. You got to be able to tell it, shut the fuck up, pussy. You know, fuck that. Get the fuck up. You can't Google this shit. Get up, put your running shoes on, and get the fuck out mm -hmm. the door. You know, you got to tell that voice to just be quiet. And yeah, Goggins is a whole, when you do it, a whole other person. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it, you know. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people will tell me, you need to calm down. You know, my knees have been going out, like, because I started running and I've been hitting it too fucking hard, you know, like. Two weeks ago, you know, I'm doing 10 mile runs when my body is just not, not wanted. My knees are swelling up like fucking grapefruits and shit. And I'm like trying to listen to David Goggins and pushing through it, you know? And, and then over the last week, you know, I haven't been able to get out and run because I can't walk. And so have you listened to any of uh knees over toes guy on YouTube and no, I'm not uh, Instagram. I don't know if I've. I'll, I'll send you his stuff. I'm going through and doing his program right now. It's all about um, rehabilitating the knees, making them stronger through the oh, yeah. the ankles, the knees. Yeah, I've um, realized my hips are my hips and my ass muscles yep. are like non-existent, so it's definitely yep, yep, yep. The I, hamstrings I, being tight. Blow up. Yeah, I'll I'll send you that stuff. I really really recommend his stuff because he it's really helpful. Um, are there any things that you've used? Well, here, let's actually stay on the knowledge because, like, it's – there's you've got – there's so much. There's just so much. Okay, so let's say that somebody has – they've gone out there. They've bought <clears throat> they've bought some cement. they bought some sand, some play sand or whatever. They've mixed it. They're playing with it. They like it. They're enjoying themselves. They want to start in acquiring some of the, the technical knowledge. Like, how do I actually make a good piece of concrete? I've made plenty of shitty concrete. How do I make, how do I make a good piece? Yeah, well, what are the next couple of like, what are the next couple of steps? Like I said, you know, we have the internet and we have the combined information of the entire planet on your phone, 
in your computer. It's right there. And it's free other than your monthly phone bill and your internet bill. So mm -hmm. like I said, you want to make good concrete? Go look at Mark Celebuski's YouTube videos. He'll tell you how to make good-ass concrete on there. Call me up. I'm, you know, Concrete Countertop Furniture and Artwork Forum DIY on Facebook. If you post on there, I look at that thing every day. You know, I'm right there. You can call me. There goes your hour a day. If you, say, <laughs> you go on there and say, hey, decoy, you know, because that's, you know, everybody in this industry knows me as Decoy Jefferson. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody knows who Josh Willie is. Um, so you go look at, say, hey, Decoy Jefferson, I want to make good concrete. Say, well, just direct message me. And I, dude, I have spent countless hours. I can't tell you how many hours I have spent trying to just help out the little guy. And I'll, I'll share everything that I have in my knowledge bank with you, you know, and there's many other, many other forums. I mean, there's so much literature on concrete just on the internet alone. You can go buy Buddy Rhodes book or, or Chang's book, you know, I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's so much out there, you know, I mean, oh, I got them around here somewhere. I've got, oh yeah, I've got all three of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's. I think otherwise you're making excuses. And if look, if you have the money, if you got the capital, you're somehow already got that kind of money to go spend on something you don't really know much about. To me, that's kind of like using a credit card. You know, you're, you might be spending money you don't have in an idea to start a business that you didn't really do your research on yet because yo, for everybody out there that wants to get into concrete, it's not fucking easy. To, to have a successful concrete business, you got to know your shit. You know, you're not going to just go all of a sudden go buy a bag mix, slap up some forms and think you're going to have a bunch of clients clawing at your door to make you have you make them really expensive countertops. That's not realistic. You need to do the research on or you're going to spend a lot of that's why how many businesses that start fail within like whatever the first year or two. Because mm -hmm. they didn't do their research on the subject and they don't really know how it works, you know. And there's a lot of successful people in the concrete industry, way more successful than I've ever been. But I can tell you, they know their shit. They, they, don't, they didn't just buy a bag mix and throw it in a mold and become successful overnight. It's, I mean, I could be totally wrong on that, you know. I'm, I get some direct messages or some shit after this. I have no idea, but... <laughs> I uh, so, uh, talk a little bit of why you like rapid set so much. Um, is it anything other than the speed of it? Um, um, that's one of the main reasons that I like it, but it's also a lot stronger than a basic Portland mix, which you know, it's, there's negatives and positives to both of that. You know, and I think about like like UHPC. You know, and I'm not talking about Kodiak Pro. I'm talking about UHPC. You know, it's a it's a much stronger concrete than Rapid Set or a Portland based mix. But we're making countertops here, not bridges. Mm -hmm. You know, and you don't need a fifty fucking million psi concrete to make a countertop. You know, you need you need a five thousand psi piece of concrete to make a countertop or a sink or whatever. And you can, 
you can go buy whatever quick creed 5000 and it's 5000 psi after 30 days you know what i mean and so there's a lot of engineering that goes into what we do you know i mean every countertop has you know it needs to be tension different it needs a different structural whatever to it you know and so a lot of it you don't you don't need ultra high performance concrete to make something really cool you can you know you can make it with something from home depot but some of this shit we make hell yeah you need some really high-end concrete you can't just expect to make a whatever five foot cantilever off of something with a shit you pick up at home depot it's not gonna happen <laughs> you, you know what i mean or whatever a 10 foot span dining table you know you you gotta you gotta have the better stuff for that and but you can make the better stuff with your own mix designs you can definitely do that and if it's versus wet cast or gfrc or a gfrc wet cast or an scc mix or a uhpc mix i mean uh all this shit in my mind is just it's it kind of takes away from the medium, you know. I mean, once you once you understand the basics of how concrete works, then you can move forward. But I I would say without learning the basics of it, don't move forward. Learn the basics. Learn what a concrete matrix is. Learn what particle packing is. Like these are things that you can learn in a class too. But you're not going to get a wealth of knowledge in a quick five day class. You know, I think. I think I'll probably start doing classes here with Paul in the future. And um, it will not be geared around any product placement. It will be geared around the fundamentals of making concrete and on a basic level to a high end level, you know, and um, I think people would enjoy that, you know, that it starts from humble beginnings to really phenomenal pieces of artwork, you know, but you can't can't skip those steps in my mind you know but uh, back to rapid set you know i do like it for the sheer speed um you don't have to be as finicky with like your water um you don't it, you don't need an acrylic you don't need a bunch of additives you need sand the calcium sulfur alumina um fibers and water and you know, there's a lot of pieces that, um, you know, we make pieces all the time. They're fucked up, you know, like, so I say concrete, when we think we know so much about concrete, you know, concrete is so unpredictable from like cracking to the colors, to the finish, like it, it could, I don't know if it's like the fluctuation of shrimp in the Bering Sea sometimes, why my piece came out fucked up. I'm like, you know, was there an earthquake on the other side of the world that made it crack? Like, I don't know, man. Like, it, it hands my ass to me all the time. And so um, the benefit of rapid set is, you know, I can make a countertop and I can form it in, say, 10, 15 minutes. I can mix up my rapid set and pour it and it's done in another 15 minutes. So I put 30 minutes into making a eight foot by four foot countertop, literally 30 minutes. It's done. I can pop it out and I can see if it's fucked up or not. And if it's not fucked up, great processed, sealed, 
you can seal it the same day. You can seal it in two hours from when it's done, you know, so you can make a countertop in a total of, you know, three hours. Where with GFRC, basic Portland mix, you're not doing that, you know, you're waiting at least a day to pop it out. And if you have, mm -hmm. you know, I was in a, you know, in the, in the cult, you know, I was doing mass reproduction and shit. And so I didn't have time to like wait till the next day to just pop it out and see if it's okay. I needed to install it the next day. And so that's partially the reason, you know, it's more of a refractory cement. It can handle higher heats. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't have a lot of free lime in it, so it's more acid resistant. Um, there's a lot to it, you know, but um, I guess it's depends on each project you're doing, you know, so I like the science of concrete, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in calcium luminance, you know, that's a fascinating type of cement too. You can get a pure white rapid set, you know, but you don't see people out there doing pure white rapid set, you know, you can't really get it. And, um, it's just the more, you know, I mean, the more one road you go down, you know, and, um, I guess I value my time, you know, and rapid set has allowed me to create things much faster. Um, very strong. I mean, that shit is strong as hell, man. And, um, so yeah, I guess it's just, it's kind of a personal preference, you know? I think the thing that scares people the most from what I understand is that they don't understand how to like slow it down. And the, the thought of being, say, I don't know, maybe a third or a halfway through a project and it starts to set up, like once it starts setting up, like you're done. Uh, and I think that scares people. Yeah. I mean, and it also, I mean, you can slow it down. You can use the citric acid in it and slow it down. Mm -hmm. And um, it'll give you a little more working time depending on how much citric acid you use in it. You know, I often, I use it, when I use it now, I do use citric acid. I was, you know... My own ego was like, well, I got to go faster. But I think the citric acid really helps with curling, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so if you're making big pieces, you don't want them to curl. And so that citric acid is going to save your ass that you're not popping a piece out that looks like a warped board that, you know, I've had pieces curl over an inch and a half on me from the center, you know. And that's, you know, when you got tacos or whatever, it doesn't look good. <laughs> That's hard to sell a client. So yeah, I use citric acid now, unless, unless it's uh you know, I'm doing smaller molds of, you know, they could be other things, not necessarily countertops or, you know, sinks, stuff like that, or, you know, sculpture type stuff. Um, you know, plasters, there's a lot of different things, you know, you're doing a shower pan that you got to pour in place. Um, I probably wouldn't use citric acid in it. But um, it's all, you know, it just depends on what you're, every, every project is different, you know. So, and that's what, one of the reasons I advocate for understanding, you know, your mix designs and understanding, you know, the medium that we're working with. Because, you know, I come from a background where I'm not just making countertops, you know. I'm making all kinds of shit. I, I was a roofing contractor for 13 years. I used rapid set on roofs, you know. I used to buy rapid set by the pallets like crazy and I could use it in all types of places. You know, you need to patch something on a wall or, I mean, it's great for slurrying. There's, it's a really versatile, you know, product. So. 
so I was just trying to. <laughs> I got your head spinning a little. I'm sorry. Well, because the, the the question is, do you go like deeper in on that, or do you switch to another topic? Um, it's always tough because like some of the questions are everything is so highly individualistic, right? So like whether somebody's making a shower pan or shower panels, or you have somebody that's doing like a vanity sink, like all those different things are going to require something a little bit different. Even if you're using rapid set, like a shower panel is a long flat piece. And if you don't keep that from curling, that's going to be a little bit of a problem. Is a sink going to curl? Probably not. There's just too many angles there. that's just going to keep it from doing that. Um, So that's kind of what makes it tough is just like, what, like what question do you ask? (laughs) You know, like, so like, I, if I use rapid set, I like using, I try and use a little bit of citric and a little bit of ice, but that's just because I'm here in Florida and I use ice with everything. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, in the past I've used hot water with it. You know? <laughs> when I'm in a real hurry. Yeah. I'm dumping hot water in there, but it also makes you, it makes you set your process up. You know, like there's so many aspects to what we do. It's not just like, making a mold and you know mixing some concrete and throwing in a bucket you know like what's your process of your mixing station you know and i've been kind of a solo builder for a minute now you know and so i it set my like my mixing process to be you know perfect i know exactly what i'm gonna do you know Mm -hmm. and so it cuts out so much time in fucking around with like whoa where's where's my bucket or where's my trowel? You know, it's, it's my workstation is set up. So it's perfect. My trowels are here. My gloves are here. You know, like your, your spray gun, you, you don't have time to fuck around and like, like GFRC, you know, you dump mud in there and you spray your shit. And like, and you got to focus on something else. You throw that spray gun and you're like, you forget to wash it. And you know, you got time to go back and wash it later. But if you got to, if it's rapid set, you have to wash that spray gun right after you spray it, you know? And so mm-hmm. you have to learn the process of like, you know, I have exactly four minutes until this rapid set flashes and I have to like get my backer wall up or, you know, brush, brush in the corners or, you know, whatever you're doing. So you have to, it's basically setting up a system where you're streamlined, you know, that they're not really selling people on rapid set right now. I'm not trying to, you know, I don't, uh, if, if it's not for you, then don't, I wouldn't say use it. You know, I'm just a different, different breed of that. And I've, I've tried to sell rapid set to people for a lot of years. And, you know, if people, people are afraid of it, I think in a lot of ways, because they just, you're a failure, you know, but in life, you know, if you don't take chances with things, you'll never be great. You know, David, David Goggins talks about uh, what being uncommon amongst uncommon people. And I want that in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to just be an average. I'm not okay with just being average. I want more out of life. I want, I want excitement, you know, and rapid set. There's a thrill in that. You're like, fuck dude, I just made this piece and it took me an hour where it, in there's that dopamine GFRC, hit. GFRC, <laughs> it would have taken me six, seven hours. 
And so not mm-hmm. only that, the strain on your body, it's it's harder to do Portland. So when people are like, they're scared of rapid set because it's hard. I can tell you if I did like just a regular vanity and it took me an hour to make it versus six, seven hours of fucking around with Portland waiting for that set to occur until you can start troweling it up or whatever, you're mm-hmm. physically taxing your body a lot more, you know? And so what's harder? It's, it's monster menos, you know, you can just, the way you look at it, it could be a negative or a positive on both sides, you know? Mm-hmm. I think p- part of it seems to be where, like what you mentioned earlier of concrete as a category uh, or an umbrella, if you will, where you have all these different things that are underneath it is it can be so complicated. Like there's just so many moving parts. Once you get up into the more complex pieces, you get into the more complex mixes and all those different things. And then when you start talking about adding in a whole different type of concrete, it's almost kind of like what you were talking about with the classes earlier, where you learn a person's methodology and then you always stick with that. And then you move on to another piece and you apply that same framework to another piece and then so on and so forth. And you, you almost not really give up. What would be a good way of putting it? You almost just forego testing things and playing with things and having fun. Like I see all the pieces that people put out and I'm just like, you got the same person that's in this state making the exact same thing that this person over in another part of the world is making. It's just like there's there's no there's no soul in it, which seems a little hippy dippy. I'm that's not really my thing, but yeah, like the things that we could make is just. Oh, I think it can stifle your creative excited. influence on your pieces, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean that's the one thing that I really like about Jeff Gerard because I went to CCI. And he focused more on explaining, like, how does it work? And so, like, I got to see, like, okay, well, how does concrete work? Why does it do the certain things? And then he just set me loose on the world. (laughs) Um, And so that's why I like seeing the more unique stuff that you you put out. Not to say that the other stuff is bad because, like, it's easier to market that stuff, right? So much easier. At the end of the day, we all have to pay our bills, right? Like, it's not just just an art form. You know, we do this to pay our bills so our kids can eat or we can have a roof over our head. And, you know, I didn't get into, like I said, I didn't get into concrete for that reason because I lived in a cult. And it was, it was like Christmas every day, you know, like in the beginning when I started making concrete and I'd go down in the morning to pop that thing out of the mold that I created, it was like Christmas. It's like unwrapping a package. Like, oh boy, this is going to be awesome. And. Sometimes it wasn't awesome. It was like, oh, fuck, you know, this is trash. <laughs> but it, it, really, uh, it really gave me a passion for concrete. You know, I, I'm a little more burnt out on concrete than I <laughs> used to be. It's, you know, there's parts of concrete that are really fun. But when it gets into a repetitious cycle of you're just creating boxes of the same thing, it's, it's not nearly as fun. You know, and I really enjoy making concrete. It's an outlet for me to get outside of my head and, you know, create things. And, 
how do you still keep that alive? I know that you mentioned that you were doing a little bit more standard stuff here recently. Like, how do you keep that passion alive? Well, I mean, that passion has died a lot in me, you know, for sure. Um, well, I'll give you an example. Like, in this process of me, like, trying to form new neural pathways and reverse my cognitive degeneration, you know, I've been looking for things I don't want to do. So, like, the other morning, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was, like, couldn't sleep. And I was, like, get the fuck out and go run again. Tell that voice to shut up. So I ran down to the beach at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was cold and not very fun. But by the time I got to the beach, my body was lubed up. I was warm. And I ran down to the water, and uh, I found some starfish, right? And um, collected a couple starfish, and I came back and um, went into the shop early and um, made some silicone molds out of the starfish and um, poured some rapid set in them, popped them out. I immortalized these starfish, you know, and they're, they're really cool, you know, and um, it's just for fun. And, you know, I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. So now I have these concrete starfish molds that, um, you know, I never really thought anything about it. And, you know, we had a designer come into the shop the other day and for some other stuff. And she saw that starfish and she was like, oh, those are really cool. You know, because, you know, with platinum silicones or, you know, urethane rubbers, they make perfect molds of whatever you make out of them. And so these starfish look like real starfish. And she said, well, you know, I, I have a store that I'm getting ready to open. I'd like to buy these starfish from you, you know, like what, can you give me pricing on bulk starfish and, you know, single starfish? And I was like, fuck yeah. So, you know, that creative aspect, you know, that made me happy. It made me excited again to like, wow, I mean, they're just kind of silly little concrete ornaments, but at the same time, somebody really appreciated it. You know, she was like, wow, this is dope, you know? And so then it's given me ideas like, well, how can I make, um, you know, like silicone positives of starfish and then I can manipulate them. And so it's like a dynamic mold where it's not just the same starfish every time, you know, maybe you want to flop over a railing or some shit and like, so you can, you know, have a mold that doesn't just create the same thing over and over again. It can be dynamic and it can be moved and you can change it, you know? So I, I think this with passions, like whatever it is in life, you know, I mean, we all are told to get up and, you know, go to school, get a good education and get a good job, you know, join the military or, you know, and just live this life of like, you're going to grind until you're whatever, 60, 70, your 401k is going to kick in and then you'll have the rest of your die have the rest of your <laughs> to, like sit there when you're fucking old and decrepit and shit but you got money and what the mm -hmm. fuck is the point you know like i would rather live my life to the fullest that i can in every aspect and when i get old then whatever if i'm rich or not i don't give a shit you know i mean the future is untold you know and we can't um we can't live our lives based around 
you know, the future of something that we can't control. And so, I don't know. I think um, whatever it is, if it's like if it's motorcycles, your passion, you know, like my son, you know, he goes to school and, you know, most people would kind of encourage their kids to really focus on school and then college level education, you know, getting a good degree in something and, you know, become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. And they could make a good living doing that. But are you really happy? You know, where does, where does true happiness come from? You know? And so to, to me, I don't give a shit if he goes to college or not. If he wants to go to college, great. I support him in it. But if he doesn't, he wants to be an entrepreneur and he wants to make fucking yo-yos. I don't know. Like, go for it. If that's what makes you happy, you know, then I would say I'd advocate that, you know, you go in that direction. Find your passion in life and learn everything you possibly can about it, you know. And so if that, in the beginning, if you're getting it, if say it's skateboarding, say it's motorcycles, you know, like my parents would have never advocated that I become like a professional skateboarder. You know, but to me, it's just like we have so much influence on people and our thoughts, ideas and opinions and like what's right or wrong. You know, and I think I think classes can do that. They can advocate a a strong opinion on something of what's right or wrong in this medium. And I don't think there's necessarily any right or wrong. There's there's failures and successes. And um, Mm -hmm. you learn more from your failures than your successes. I think totally, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of failures in life, you know, um, <laughs> but it's also created great success in my life. I think, you know, I'm still here. I'm still standing. So I did a lot of stuff wrong, but I'm, I'm still here. So I might've done a couple things right, you know? Yeah. But even then it's just that I feel like a lot of people, wouldn't have turned it around like you did. Like some people just never come to that realization. Like, man, I fucked up a bunch. I should probably fix a few things. (laughs) Like the fact that you have even come to that realization and that you're working on it, that's impressive. So kudos to you, man. I mean, that's that's impressive. I think when you hit rock bottom, you know, I've hit rock bottom many times in my life and they've gotten worse at those rock bottoms. I've found deeper, deeper points of darkness. And at those deeper points, you know, you really have two choices. You know, you can check out where I've been really close to checking out many times. Or you can look up and see the world from the bottom of the hole you're in and realize, like, I can't keep making the same mistakes over and over again because they keep causing more pain in my life. And I think maybe a lot of people, they haven't really hit rock bottom. You know, they haven't, um, this world keeps us cushy in a lot of ways. You know, we've got Costco or Walmart or, you know, whatever we need right there. And, uh, grocery delivery services and everything. Yeah. And so, you know, McDonald's or all of it, you know, it's, it keeps us distracted in our minds, you know, opinions keep us distracted in our minds and we don't, um, necessarily change and we make excuses we I, I still make so many excuses why i shouldn't do stuff you know or why somebody else shouldn't do something you know i'm a really strong opinionated person i'm trying to let that go as much as i can 
Um, but I think it comes from just true sincerity. You know, if you're, if you truly want to be a good person and you truly want to like help people around you and change your life, you can't make excuses behind why you can't, you know, if you truly want to make great concrete, you can't make excuses of why you can't. Well, this class costs too much money or these products cost too much money. And that's what I'm saying is, you know, there's other avenues, you know, so if you have a problem and you write it down and then you'll, you'll write down underneath that, why can't I solve this problem? And you write all the 50 million fucking excuses that we have, why we can't fix this problem. Then we start going through those problems and say, what's the alternative here? How can I change this? And, um, at that point, you can't make any more excuses of why you can't change something. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have enough time in the day. Well, go through your day and look at the things where you're wasting your time, you know, and cut them out. I don't have enough time in the day, but I, I surf social media fucking 10 hours a day. You know, I, I lay in bed at night and I, I worry about the past for four hours and that's why I can't go to sleep at night. And that's why the next day I'm too tired to, you know, have more energy to do what I want to do. And so like what I was saying is in me quitting drinking, you know, it's made me realize that I have more, I have too much fucking time. I have too much time to do shit and I'm sitting here spinning my wheels. So like I'll go lay in bed and it's trying to go to sleep and I can't go to sleep. And my mind is just, fucking on fire with like all of these things that I really can't change, you know, but what I can change is if it's one o'clock in the morning and I can't go to sleep, I can get the fuck up. I can go put my running shoes on and I can go run five miles and I can come home and I'm pumped. I have more energy than I know what to do with. And I can pass out, get good REM sleep. And I only need two or three hours of sleep and I wake up and I'm fucking ready to go, man. You know, and people you sure you're human. (laughs) uh, Well, I think all humans can do this, you know, and I think we we listen to too many other opinions. You know, when people say, if you got a plan, don't tell it to other people because they're going to fucking poo poo it. You know, I was talking to a friend last night and I was thinking about, you know, maybe I'd like to get into finance, you know, like lending and stuff, which is definitely not something I would normally do. You know, I'm not, I've never viewed myself as that type of person. And he just kept telling me, you know, maybe, maybe you should just stick with what you know, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, to the point like, dude, you're basically telling me that I can't do something, you know, because your opinion of who I am doesn't allow that. And we all listen to that shit. These outside influences, we that's why we're all trapped in this world of, you know, corporations and we buy, buy, buy. And it's a trap, you know, because we're listening to these outside influences, you know, and if you can, it's like getting in a deprivation chamber. If you deprive your senses of all of these outside influences that are driving you down this narrow little tunnel, you know, you can break free of these things. We turn on the fucking TV and it's like, Pepsi is telling us this shit or, you know, you need fucking Cialis or, you know, you go to a doctor these days and they'll tell you, you have a terminal fucking illness, right? I went to a doctor and he told me you're going to die from COPD. There's no cure for it at all. 
And you know what I did? I went online and I looked, what's the cure for COPD? I could not find anything. I found a bunch of products. You need steroid inhalers or you, there's fucking yerba mate or some fucking organic, you know, supplement or we, we live in a world where like, if we have a headache, we take Tylenol, right? And Tylenol doesn't cure whatever ails you. You get a cold, you get sick and they're like, go fucking take NyQuil. That doesn't cure a cold. It alleviates a symptom. It's like alcohol. It alleviates a symptom. It doesn't heal you. And so I don't trust fucking doctors. I'm not going to, the only reason I would go to a doctor right now is if I have a broken fucking arm. And even then I broke my hand like a couple years ago. I didn't even go to a doctor because I knew what they were going to do. They're going to say, oh, you need some opioids to kill the pain and you need to rest. Fuck that. What do I need to take opioids for? It doesn't heal anything. I have to deal with the pain. And that's what I found in life is I can't insulate my nerves from pain anymore. I have to deal with it. And, you know, healing can come from within, I think. And there's no drug a doctor can prescribe you to heal you. They're all just alleviations of symptoms. And to me, that's fucking crazy. We believe these people that like, whatever, you get diabetes, right? Fucking why do you have diabetes? Do you eat like shit? Do you fucking exercise? You know, like all this shit with COVID, you know, like, in my mind, it's getting sick, right? But there's nothing that they can give you to cure, cure it. They're, it's all product fucking placement. That's part of the reason I got a real problem with products in our industry or at fucking Walmart or a doctor gives you, you need Viagra to fucking get a hard on. Do you? Do you fucking, are your testosterone levels really low because you sit on the fucking couch too much? You eat like shit? You know, they're all excuses in life of why we shouldn't change, you know, and I've been really guilty of, well, I can't do something because this is just who I am. You know, when we tell ourselves, this is just who I am. Well, that's who the fuck you are then and you'll never change, you know. Uh, growth mm -hmm. comes through conflict. And if you don't want to, if you don't like what you're getting and you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate. Anybody can be strong and healthy, you know, healthy mind, healthy body, healthy heart, but you really have to um, put the work in, you know, and a lot of us want to make excuses of why we don't want to put the work in. And I'm, I'm so guilty of that. It's not like I've transcended this on some level, you know, there's a million fucking things I don't see. And I should see, I should change. I should be more compassionate. I should be better to people. You know, these are all things that, you know, religion, religion too, to me anymore. You know, I used to be highly religious way more than, I mean, I dedicated my life to a religious organization because I thought Jesus Christ was the answer to everything. I don't view that anymore. I view that, you know, that's more of a product placement in my mind. If you don't, uh, subscribe to this belief system there's a fucking fiery place of purgatory waiting for you on the other side 
and that's going to stop you from changing. It's uh, it it's puts you in a microcosm of life. And uh, I'm more about the macro, man. I want big. I want it. I want it fun. I want everybody to like succeed, you know. <clears throat> and that's that's why my my motivation and you know giving freely of people of my knowledge of this industry is because I want other people to succeed. You know, I uh, I have a real passion for humanity. Humanity is struggling and. You know, the, the only way I think we get out of that is uh, that we're we're better to each other and uh, we share more freely without the fucking opinion in there. And I got a million and one opinions, dude. And, and it's uh, so how's that working out for you? <laughs> it's a day to day battle inside, you know, for sure. You get really ugly. Uh, so we've been going for almost two and a half hours. We can keep going if you would I'm, like. I got all day, um, dude. I'm... I didn't know if you wanted to actually talk about some con concrete stuff. <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> Any question? I'm an open book, buddy. Any question you got. <laughs> been philosoph philosophizing a lot. I didn't know if there was a, if you actually wanted to talk about, about the concrete. Oh. Uh, concrete is a it's an interesting thing you know it's a uh, it's like people it's a uh, it can be a lump of shit and uh, you, can, you can pour a lump of shit you can pop it out of the, the mold and you know put some diamonds to it and polish it up and it could be beautiful you know? <laughs> uh yeah i mean if you're willing to keep going for a little bit longer i mean our oldest girl has a birthday party later today so i can only go for probably another half an hour sure, but man. I would love for you to talk to me about Terrazzo. It's one of the things where I so badly want, I have a very small shop. So in my mind, I already have these, well, I can't get all these aggregates. They take up room and all these different things. And I know that you can go down to Home Depot and you can get some marble chips and you can put it in with your mix. And I get that. I get that. But I love the intricate stuff. So like hundreds of colors. Mm -hmm. I love my colors. I love mixing all the, the aggregates. And so I, I, my concern with if I do start to kind of go down the terrazzo path is like I'm going to get the bug and I'll just want to do everything. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go forward anyways and say like, okay, so I have a, ba I have a pretty good understanding of concrete. I want to get into terrazzo. What advice would you give me? Well, I'd say what type of terrazzo? You want glass terrazzo? You want stones? You want shells? Like, uh, yes. So, well, <laughs> the thing is, I, I, I think I gravitate more towards the natural stones and the glass, not really the, the crazier type stuff that people put in there. Like, I've seen people put in like wine glasses and like um, keys and gears and cogs. Like, that's not not really the the route that I go down and not really so much of the sh the shells is okay um, but I love the different natural stone aggregates and the various glasses well I mean it, you can order you can order stones or you can walk outside you can go on a walk and there's rocks everywhere and they're free right and mm -hmm. um, if you got a tile saw you can chop those rocks up or you can crush them with a hammer um, throw them in your mix uh, with glass. You know, glass is 
it's expensive if you buy like you know color glass but uh you could go to uh like your local window shop just down the street you know how much glass they throw away like it's by the ton and they pay to throw it away so you could go to your local glass shop and ask them for a couple busted ass sheets of glass or i'm sure they'd give you more than you could carry out of there and if you want it colored you know go buy some spray paint spray paint your glass and um it could be any color you could get gold silver blue red any color of spray paint they have at home depot right spray paint your glass throw it in your mold and you know uh, like i said i don't like i don't like terrazzo that's just fully specked out chiclet style with glass um, I like the more natural veining, so it's to me it's more tasteful if you're doing just like one vein, you know. So basically, put your glass in there, and um, you know you could move it by, with your hand to get a kind of a flowing structure to it, you know. Um, and then you pour your concrete over it, and you polish it down, but the paint stays on the back of the glass, so you can have basically any color glass you want, you know. And you you can get um, <clears throat> like like glass paint you know so it's more of a translucent um and make the glass more translucent or you can mm -hmm. use just regular regular paint and you know you, you won't be able to see through the back of it you know but um that glass is cheap and it's free basically a lot of the times if you want to use it and so I, yeah like i said i'm a big proponent of using things that you can just get freely and easily in your local neighborhood you know and if you want some type of like you know we just did this huge countertop and it's it's like 90 percent marble and there was like um some jasper in it you know we just ordered the jasper off of amazon it would be there and you know the next day damn near so um the thing with terrazzo it's definitely though you it's a lot of work you know you're grinding the shit out of it and you're you're paying for those diamonds that you use to, to polish it with, you know, and you got to have a nice grinder. You got to have a variable speed grinder. You can't do Terrazzo with just a regular, whatever, 7,000 RPM, you know, Milwaukee grinder. You pick it up at Home Depot. You, you need to get a nice grinder, you know, Macabo or whatever it is. There's a variable speed. I mean, they have variable speed grinders at Home Depot now, too. You can get a Milwaukee variable speed grinder at Home Depot. And, um, you know, you expect to drop three, four hundred bucks on one or, you know, a planetary polisher, which if you're doing big stuff, you, you're going to need one of those. Um, and they're definitely not cheap. You know, you're looking at three grand and then you got you got three heads on it. So, you know, you're mm -hmm. every depending on what you're polishing to, you know, I mean, uh, the thing with concrete, you know, I used to polish everything to 3,000 and then I'd buff it with like 10,000 <laughs> like grit, like, you know, Trizac pads or Abrilons or, you know, I mean, there's so many products that we use for polishing from, you know, Mirka to Fez tool to, I mean, it's, there's a million different products out there that we can use. And I'm not, you know, I don't deter people from getting good, good tools. You know, I think um, I was always uh, negative about Fez tool. And um, after, you know, getting the track saws and, you know, using their sanders and stuff like that, they're great tools. You know, you're going to pay, mm -hmm. pay for that great tool, though, you know. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, the more high-end stuff you want to do, you do need the more high-end tools to achieve that for sure. You're not going to go to Home Depot necessarily and get the things that are going to set you through the ball, the ballpark or, you know, through the roof with making really high-end stuff. So, um, you know, I really like Mirka. Mirka is a great, great sanding system. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, the more high quality diamonds you get, the better polishes you get. But, but now, you know, with terrazzo, the idea of like sealing terrazzo is a whole deal. And so if you're, you know, also too, with your mix, you know, the more dense mix you make. So if it's a UHPC, you know, in a lot of ways, that's <clears throat> kind of counterproductive in my mind because you're making such a dense form of concrete. And you're trying to seal this, right? And so, you know, sealers have to bite. They have to get in there and penetrate. And so if you have a piece of concrete that's 50 million PSI, you're gonna, it's going to be harder to process, right? So, mm -hmm. and depending if it's like Rapid Set or a Portland-based cement, you know, there's more free lime in Portland cement. So, uh, you know, we do acid processing now basically is the way. And um, mm -hmm. if you don't have a lot of free lime in your concrete, it's not going to react the same way when you're putting acid on it. And so more chance of delamination, more chance of your sealers not going into the piece and grabbing it. And so you don't seal the pieces good. And with terrazzo, you know, if you're polishing to high grits, it's really hard to seal them. You know, they're, they're going to look beautiful when you're done polishing it, but in a couple months, they're going to be fucked. You know, so now, I mean, we're doing probably, you know, polish to 200 and um, acid wash it, you know, and then seal it, you know, depending on what you're using, if it's uh, more of a topical or penetrating, you know, I mean, I, we use a lot of ICT, you know, and uh, I think John's new, uh, new formula is pretty good stuff, you know. People seem to like it a lot. out there for John, you know, John mm -hmm. Schuler is... I mean, he's a good dude and he's a wealth of information, you know, I don't want to knock, uh, you know, the systems or products that he's put out there, you know, but, um, so yeah, but I also think that, um, there's also problems, you know, that can arise with that, depending on what you're doing. You know, I, I don't necessarily trust ICT alone for certain projects, you know, I'm, I've done a lot of experimenting with things like ICT and then putting a topical over them. And um, I found them to be mm -hmm. bulletproof. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Permalac. Permalac, bar none to me, is like the best fucking sealer I've ever used in my life. That shit is really good. It's really easy to apply. Um, you know, we can't even get it here in California because of the laws, but uh, um, maybe I'll go down to Arizona and smuggle know 55 gallon drum of it over here to start using it but it, you know it puts my mind at ease you know because we're it's stressful to put a countertop in somebody's home and you get a call like a week or a month later and they're like no oh, it's my i put my water cup on it and there's a fat ring on there and you're like they're like i can't put a cup of water on there you know and so that's mm -hmm. pretty stressful you know and um you know, trying to explain that to a client, like, well, it, you know, it breathes, it's gonna, it's gonna, the water's gonna evacuate out of there over time, you know, or um, some of those people aren't down to hear that, 
you know you can be really honest mm-hmm. about concrete and tell them you know the stuff stains it chips it cracks it scratches it does all of this you know i mean if you don't want that go get some quartz you know <laughs> but um yeah I, I think um just depending on what you're doing you know and the mix design that you're using um it's not just about the concrete now it's also about the sealers and you know how it all comes together in the full package yeah, that seems to, I know I've used the term scare quite a bit in this conversation, but that is one thing that, like, we, you see the newer guys pop up in the forums all the time about, and they just seems, I feel so bad for them because it's it's so confusing. You have these various camps, and everybody's kind of screaming at each other, and you've got the newer guy that's kind of in the middle, and they're just getting barraged from all sides. Um, it's such a bad situation to for the industry to be in right now. Um, I wish I could see an easy way forward with bringing everybody together, but I I just don't see a clear path forward, to be honest. I don't either, you know, and I mean, honestly, we do need a lot of these products and, you know, I mean, sealers are a huge aspect of what we do. And Mm -hmm. to me, I mean, honesty is always the best policy, but you know, with the product placement, with a lot of stuffs, you know, we make some high claims about products. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of manipulative in a lot of ways. Um, you know, like I said, I use ICT. I think it's a great sealer. But there's also a lot of avenues that I don't trust it. You know, there's no perfect product out there. And when people make claims like, this is bomb proof, you know, it's, it's bullshit. You know, you have to educate your client on how it works, how concrete is, you know, you're, you're getting a, you know, a handcrafted piece of art, you know, that's part of it. It's not like this is a, and it'll last the test of time, but it will <laughs> patina. <laughs> Which, uh... Oh man, I hate I, I, the only statement in our industry. Uh, there's two other statements in our industry that I hate more than that one is thin to win because it doesn't mean fuck all <laughs> and the other one is um what do people say oh this is a this is a functional this is a piece of functional mm. art motherfucker that's a gray rectangle yeah. there is nothing artistic about that like fuck off yeah um like it's handcrafted it can be it can be amazingly well made mm-hmm. And I don't want to take anything away from the craft. Like, that's that's not what I'm saying. Like, it takes a lot of skill to make some of these pieces. It takes a lot of knowledge to make some of these pieces. But that does not mean that it is artistic. It does not mean that it is a piece of art. Yeah. It's a fucking gray rectangle. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it goes into what you're making. You know, I mean, some of mm-hmm. it is art, but some of it is gray rectangle. Oh, yeah. And it's depending on what kind of wear surface, you know, if it's in a kitchen, you know, you're you might be looking for trouble. You know, somebody's like, I want a farm, farm sink that's concrete. And like, well, <laughs> you can have one of those, but over time, don't put anything it's in it. Start looking a little, <laughs> little crummy, you know? So I guess it's, it just boils down to what you're doing. I mean, I, I like making, you know, art pieces out of concrete because they'll stay beautiful, you know, and wall Mm -hmm. finishes whatever you know we're doing a lot more micro toppings on walls and stuff like that and um it's not a wear surface so i'm not super concerned about it you know i'd much rather do like just art concrete art you know wall panels or 
you know, sculptures or stuff like that, but uh, that doesn't always pay the bills. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it can, well, unless you get in the right market, it can be a little tough to to convince somebody to spend X amount of dollars on like a piece of wall art or something like that. Um, I don't remember if I put a picture up of the piece that we did for our house in the interview that you you watched, but the the really really long blue uh, piece looks like a piece like ocean or whatever. Yeah, I it's think I did. Massive. Like a vertical, vertically Mass- cast it right, and it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like water or something floating up. Yeah, it's like it's almost eight feet long. It's almost three feet tall. I mean, it's it's monstrous. And then we hung it on the wall because why not? Yeah. <laughs> um. But along those lines of kind of some of the things that we've been talking about, what do you what do you think that our industry as a whole gets wrong? And then what do you think they get right? That might be too big of a question, but like, we we get to see so much in the different forums. Uh, generally speaking, what do you think people get wrong and right? Like, you mean as a business or? Just from the medium as a whole. And that could be too esoteric of a question. Yeah, that's kind of a tough, tough one for me to wrap around. Uh, you know, I mean, we get a lot of stuff wrong and a lot of what we do i mean i guess it boils down to what you want to make and you know i think what we get wrong in this industry is that um we're really divided you know in a lot of ways and um i think that's my biggest negative in this industry that we've got so many different camps you know like who's the best who's the best schooling who's the best teaching platform you know and um you know Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, one of the greatest inspirations to me in this industry is Cody Carpenter. And I would say that bar none, he's the best concrete fabricator I've ever seen in my life. Like this guy fucking blows my mind. You know, when he did the plan B classes, you know, I would say that's the pinnacle of teaching. Um, Shit that I, when I talk to him, dude, I, I get a migraine because I'm like, bro, I don't even understand what the fuck you're saying. Like you're fucking idiot savant here. You're, you're too smart. Like I can't, I can't even keep up, you know, and his work is perfect. Like, I don't care who the fuck you think you are in this industry, dude. He's the one, like, he's like God's gift to this industry. And he's one of the most giving, most sharing people that I've ever met. You know, he's He's the kind of guy that's like, you can call him up and he'll give you an earful of stuff you couldn't even understand, you know, and he's willing to share it freely. And so I'd say the best concrete training camp that I've ever seen is plan B, you know, and he doesn't even have any plan B's. It's all plan A's because he doesn't need a plan B. His shit is fucking perfect the first time. So, um, and you know, with there's been some really amazing pieces come out of that job. Dude, and continue to, you know. I mean, his his work is above and beyond anybody's I've ever seen in my life. And, um, you know, so, and, and, you know, what I've got from him is he's always tried to bring people together in this industry, you know, that we're not nitpicking each other and, you know, going at each other for whatever our opinions are because all of our opinions when it comes to concrete fail in comparison to what he can do i think 
So, yeah, I got the utmost respect for Cody. You know, he's top-notch human, top-notch concrete guy. And uh, I've had several people ask me to try and get him on. Yeah, he might do it. I don't, I don't know. I know he's busy, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he he have probably a lot better stuff to share about concrete than I ever will. You know, but I don't know if I don't know if we could understand it because <laughs> it's so fucking advanced that uh, yeah, he's, he's something else. I got it. Yeah, but that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons. You know, when I went to the Plan B classes, um, I made lifelong friends. You know, people in this industry that I know. I'll be in contact with on my deathbed, probably, you know? So, and I don't, I don't necessarily know if other classes give you that, you know? And the, one of the reasons I appreciated that class so much is not necessarily what I uh, got out of concrete from it, but the people that were there to share, you know, and in this industry, the more people that we have that we can just call up and say, yo, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what I should do here. You know, can you give me some advice? I got hundreds of homies now that I can call up and be like, Hey, you know, we're doing this. And they're like, Oh yeah, dude. Hey, how you doing, man? Good to talk to you. And this is, this is what I think Mm -hmm. about it, you know? And it's, it's, it's a freely given information. You know, I'm not, they're not charging me for it and I'm not charging them for it. They're my, my concrete brothers that I want to share with. I want to, I want to know how their families are doing. I want to know how their kids are doing. You know, I want to know how their business is doing. You know, so it's. I think stuff like that really brings the industry together. It it furthers the creation of concrete. You know, in the beginning, there was all these tight knit secrets. You know, the Concrete Countertop Forum. Nobody wanted to give their fucking secrets away. It's like, oh, this is my intellectual property, and I own it. And I, mm-hmm. You know, simple things like processing with a scotch bright pad you know everybody does that now and nobody would tell you about that how many years ago you know or acid washing you know this is dude i spent countless fucking hours processing with a goddamn 50 grit diamond pad you know i mean hundreds and hundreds of hours and now you just mix up some muriatic acid and you spray it on that countertop and whoo it's processed, man. You're done. You know, wash it off with some water. Mm-hmm. You know, but those those were tightly kept secrets in the past, and uh, so now. I... Yeah, there's a lot of them that are still out there. Um, Martin and I were talking about that the other day. Is um, <clears throat> he's been helping me a whole bunch on like the front end of like reaching out to various people to see who could, we could get on to. Uh, to do interviews with both the full ones like this and then like the micro ones where it's on like just a singular topic and the amount of people that there's two there's basically two camps there's one of the oh nobody wants to listen to me um i don't have anything to say and then there's the other group of i don't want to share my secrets um and between those two it's been kind of difficult to get people on for various things, um, which is I, I both understand it and it's also a little frustrating too because if you've ever gotten any help from the forums whatsoever and 
like that was free information that was given to you and you're not paying that forward in some respects on say in the future that seems almost a bit parasitic to me um that's been something that's been a little difficult as i've been going through and doing the podcast um to kind of deal with um so i don't i don't know um if you have any recommendations on how to get around some of that stuff that'd be greatly appreciated but well I don't know, man. I don't really see a way forward in some of these instances. Well, maybe this interview will inspire people to, um, you know, break down some of those barriers. And, you know, it's human relations are important, you know, and um, that's what makes the world go round. The, the reciprocity, you know, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that word. You know, we, One of the most amazing words ever. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, reciprocity can also be used for really negative shit. You know, it's like a... It's like a multi-level mm-hmm. marketing tactic. You know, corporations use reciprocity. McDonald's uses reciprocity, and so it's it can be a positive or a negative. But I think um, you know to give in return for something is it's a valuable thing. You know, and if you're willing to share information, you know people want to give back, and it's like paying it forward. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't if we're just using reciprocity to trick somebody into buying a product saying you know like i'm gonna give you a free gift and um it's like a bait and switch so you know i think uh there's this book that i've been reading called influence and um, reciprocity is one of the first psychological tactics in influence and uh, it's put into marketing you know, a lot, you know, like, I think, uh, like McDonald's did a study on reciprocity and, um, they'd have people come in and they'd give them a free gift right off the bat and give them a balloon. Right. So they felt, Oh, they, they gave me something. And so they mm-hmm. immediately went in and I think their sales went up 5%. And so then they did another test. And they based the reciprocity idea off of, um, you know, specializing that gift to you. And so when they came, came in, they gave him like a cup of yogurt. And so, you know, when you go into McDonald's, you're hungry, you know, you're looking for food. And so that gift of yogurt was personalized. I think it made their sales go up like 25 fucking percent. And so, you know, we can incorporate that into a business tactic. Or we could also incorporate that into just a human-based model where we give freely and people will feel entitled to give back, you know, which is a really good thing. It's, it's kind of how we've evolved from, you know, not being cavemen anymore. You know, if we, if we give freely, people appreciate that and they want to give back. And so in my idea in the concrete world, if we want it to get better and, you know, be a better environment, uh, we can give freely of things, you know, and they'll in return pay it forward. So I think, uh, yeah, reciprocity is a good thing. Is there any other things that you, um, let's see, how would be a good way to phrase it that you would, would like to share with people as far either on the conference, the concrete front or 
the mindset front because it's I don't know, like I've been talking with Concrete about with a lot of other people that I've interviewed so far, but like the mindset part is, uh, it's not that it's not there, it's just we didn't have time to talk about it, but there's been so many things where you're like improving on so many different fronts. It's all, <laughs> I know you, it's like which which way to go, because I know I've only got about nine more minutes left, <laughs> but I mean, was is there anything else that you wanted to talk about of those two things? Because like I don't, I don't want to push you in either direction. Um, well, I mean, I don't know, I guess. Um, I think... Uh, I mean, is there anything that you want to talk about? I mean, I've pretty much just sat here and listened to you talk the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I think um, I think life can be really challenging, you know, on a lot of levels. And um, I would say... Um, you know, I think just not making any excuses for what we can or we can't do in life or concrete or any of that, you know, and um, which is not an easy thing. I think we're all pretty prone to making excuses of whatever, not to have better relationships with people, why we can't do our job better, um, why we can't make our body stronger, um, why we can't eat healthier. Um, and, uh, you know, so just in an effort to be better at whatever we do, you know, I think it's self-evaluation and true sincerity with yourself and others that, um, you know, human beings are amazing, amazing creatures. And I think we can, mm -hmm. we can do anything that we put our minds to if we can get over the barriers get out of our own way or, uh, yeah it's like uh, he who looms largely in the doorway of his own perception is blind and um, if we mm. can maybe take ourselves out of the equation on some levels and what we think we know and you know the idea of what we want to convey to other people or you know influence other people um you know i i was uh, i've been looking at a lot of robert green's stuff and he's got words at the 48 laws of power. And um, he's also got like the art of seduction, things like this. And um, <clears throat> in one of his talks, he talks about what true stupidity is. And um, it's not necessarily what I think a lot of people think someone's stupid is, you know, because a lot of people have l lack of information and um, people that say, well, they're just dumb because of that. But uh, he talks about what true stupidity is, is like a certain topic that we, we kind of entertain a little bit. We know a little bit about it. You know, politics is a good example of this. And it's like, <clears throat> we'll go at each other, whatever it's right, left, or in the middle. And um, we'll think that other person's stupid because they don't understand it the way we do. And what he talks about is stupidity is actually being you know, not well versed in a topic, but we want to we want to be correct in it, and we don't really know a lot about it. Politics, concrete. I'm really guilty of this with concrete. Like, I think I fucking know a lot about this topic, and I'm willing to like go to war with somebody over it. And I think that's what true stupidity is: is when we put a lack of knowledge into action. And so, if we if we think we know something, like 
well, the Republicans are wrong, and the Democrats are wrong, and we just did this, and we're willing to basically die for that candidate. We're willing to go to war. We're willing to whatever it is, and we don't really know shit about that topic. It's just something that we've heard from another opinion, but we'll put that into action. It's fundamentalism, you know? It's like how many people died in the fucking Crusades, you know, because if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell and these people are infidels. You know, I mean, we go to war every day with other countries to take, you know, and um, it's all about what we want, you know, our shit. And so if we can, you know, really educate ourselves on whatever topic we want to be an expert in, uh, I'd say really, really do that. And that's with concrete, you know, that's why I advocate really understanding the medium from the ground level up. You know, there's different levels of schooling there. And so once you can basically encompass the first levels of how concrete works, you know, and then grow from there. So it's just like you're setting up stepping stones of, you know, an infinite pyramid of steps. And so, you know, I'll, I'll always be a student of concrete. You know, till the day I die, I'll always want to know more about it. And the more I can realize I don't know a lot about it, I think the, the more I will traverse in the concrete realm, the better I'll get, the more artistic I'll get. And, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's like creating your magnum opus. You know, it's like your, your finest work of art is at the end of the road. And you can't really create it until you have the knowledge of all those mis mistakes and successes. And at the very end, you know, you're fucking Michelangelo and you can create some really phenomenal stuff that will, you know, last the test of time. I don't know that there's a better place to stop than that. <laughs> Thanks for listening in, guys. I hope you were able to find at least a couple things that you'll be able to assimilate into your life that will help you tremendously. If you did find this episode beneficial, subscribing, liking, all that social goodness is really, really appreciated. If you'd like to help support this channel even more, then hanging up those affiliate links is the best way to do that. It's a no-cost-to-you solution to do that, and I really appreciate it. If you have any recommendations on how we can improve this channel, whether it be guests or topics that you would like us to cover, leaving those in the YouTube comments is definitely the best way to do that. Thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Later.